This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas, and I am here alone today. Dan couldn't make it, but I'm here with a uh, a much older connection of mine, going back to kind of my earlier earliest roots of being involved in online politics or this online cultural, socio-political sphere, whatever you want to call it, um, Brandon Adamson is someone I've known since 2018, uh, which for me <laughs> goes back pretty far, although Brandon's been online a bit longer than that. But Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, man? Yeah, no, really, really good to talk again. We were just kind of speaking right before I hit record about how we probably have, you know, we've been mutual followers for years and um, continued to interact. But I think this is probably the first time since maybe early 2020. This is basically before the pandemic, I think, that we've actually spoken. Um, so it's good to speak again. <clears throat> yeah, same here. I think, I don't know, I think the last time that we did a podcast is when I was uh, promoting promoting my uh, book before, which was The, the Rats of Nationalism. So that, that had to be Must like have been. 2019. Yeah, so. yeah. And we were, I remember we were talking a decent amount at the beginning of 2020, but I guess maybe not doing podcasts um but yeah no i uh, rats of nationalism definitely there's uh if you go back so this would be we met through the the robert stark sphere uh the you know the stark truth with robert stark podcast there's a lot of listeners to this podcast probably know of um and which is still active although robert's more active on substack these days than podcasting but uh yeah lots of good episodes people can find maybe i'll even link them in the description we have quite a few good ones on um Andrew Yang, <laughs> um, and we did a really good one on the Groiper War. I remember uh, lots of lots of good topics from back in those days. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. A, a lot of those are, are pretty dated. I think uh, some, especially well, when, you, when you go back to the ones uh, from the twenty fifteen. Oh man, yeah. Well, that was even before my time, technically. But uh, but I know the ones you're talking about. <clears throat> yeah, those should those podcasts should be burned. Most you think so? Oh, because I get nostalgic for them, but that's my take. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I get nostalgic sometimes, but like it's just, um, I don't know. I'm some. I'm just sometimes like it's kind of one of those things where like anything that you did at one time is almost kind of like cringe when you look back on it now because yeah. it's like you're so like we were like very naive at the time and like idealistic. So. Definitely. Um, yeah. And then there's, of course, the whole, you know, threat of being doxxed for opinions or things that one said at that time. So there's that concern. Uh, there's that kind and that's not cringe, but there's that, I guess, like, you know, concern about things that 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 you might that some of us may or may not have said at the time. But uh, but no, I, I do get nostalgic 
for it, um, almost because of the idealism of it. I mean, I think in some ways it ended up being misplaced, but uh, there there was an energy about that time, definitely 2015, 2016, which again is technically before I was deeply involved uh, in the online or podcasting sphere. But even like 2018, uh, it was still a time where a lot of us, this was definitely me, um, were kind of like inventing names for like our own like meme ideologies and stuff, which sounds kind of autistic and maybe idealistic now, but uh, I don't know. It definitely was like very formative for me. So I look back on it with some degree of fondness. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of, um, I don't know. There, for me, there's like, a, there's a weird parallel between um, like, the, like the baby boomers and like w- what I went through. Because I went, went kind of like through a, mm-hmm. a kind of like alt-right or like a dark version of how like when when the boomers in the 60s were like very like kind of revolutionary and like idealistic and then by the 80s they were like just kind of like yuppies like you know voting for reagan and like driving bmws and things like that and there was kind of like i feel like i went through a kind of similar um like almost like an alt-right version of that where i was like you know really passionate about these like we're you know we're going places like this is going to um, yeah. you know we're going to change the world and, and all of this but then like um you know then then he, i kind of just like grew, grew out of it and, and uh you know just became became more of kind of a cynic almost like a like a boomer like kind of just more cynical about it all cynical and just like a more um i don't know my, my, i guess my mindset just just changed it's kind of like well that you, you you can't really beat the system so you, you just have to learn how to adapt yeah, and, uh, and, and live within like the way it is, like deal with the world as it is. Like, yeah, no, totally. And I think you can kind of trace that. You can obviously trace it in your tweets. You used to, well, to back up further. I mean, you used to have not that I don't know how to the extent that you want to talk about all of this, but you used to have a great. And this is kind of for the listeners who may not be as familiar with you. You used to have a great blog called altleft.com. Uh, I'll just give the the two minute, the one minute, one to two minute, like version of the history of that, you know, it was before Trump kind of ruined the alt left concept by associating it with Antifa and things like that. This was um, basically like uh, a critical other voice in the room, I would say, during the peak alt right thing. And it was kind of um, ideologically not the opposite of that, but rather um a take on that i mean how would you present it you know the, the, the sort of more yeah I, I would think that, of, yeah Go on. like it was just kind of um i would say the look we used to be classified as more of kind of the like the liberal um the liberal side of the the alt-right as right, opposed right. to like as opposed to as opposed to something like the the alt-light was something um it was something different than that it was it was more like um yeah, just to, like the kind of people used to describe us as the 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 left wing of of the of the alt right. So it was still like within that a lot of that framework, as opposed to the other stuff that was completely opposed to it. But yeah, um, you know, even, but even like even before that, I mean, like when I probably at my edgiest time period, I, I wrote a, a blog called uh, called Xenophobe, and that, which was yeah. even before before that, and that was when. Um, I was probably my, my edgiest time period, but I just didn't, uh, I don't know. I didn't like, I didn't want to, first of all, like, like you and I are both, 
like involved in, in the arts and all kinds of stuff. And so I didn't want to have a blog that was just restricted to talking about one particular political thing. I just, I wanted something that was more like that encompassed like, Oh, you know, sometimes I might write about this. And then in other times I might write like a, an album review or something like that, yeah. or, or, or write about some other thing that just has like some, some architecture or something local or anything just like I didn't want to have something that like where the title of the the site just was like it, it restricted you to just like this one this one thing and I, I don't know I just didn't, I didn't want to become like known for for that specifically. yeah no no makes sense and altleft.com um, and also this was kind of the peak of the Robert Stark you know the Stark truth with Robert Stark uh, that you know that we met through um, was was what very much became that where it was there political topics were broached and um, controversial political topics were broached, but also uh, you could sort of talk about anything uh, and everything would have a sort of dissident slant. But but um, there's a lot of cultural coverage, uh, you know, films, music, literature. Um, and there was also another key uh, part, another key ingredient here is, I think, uh, a certain transhumanism, which is also a, a word that I feel like I haven't heard in a, in a little while. It's kind of or maybe I'm just in the wrong circles. I don't hear as much discourse on transhumanism, but th there's an element of that, I think, to to, to what your work uh, was about back then, I think still is, which we'll get into, which is that, um, yeah, transhumanism or just uh, futurism even, that, uh, you know, tying in one's political hopes and aspirations with, you know, with, with also technological um, aspirations. Does that make sense? Um. Yeah, I mean, definitely. That's always been like a, um, I don't know. That's always been like heavy in in my writing and a Kim Cohen. Even even going back to when I was writing, um, like old poetry books like Side Quests in like two thousand seven and two thousand eight. Like yeah. you're going really far back. That was always a, um, that was always a component to it. And I, I think part of that is also, um like my generation i guess because i'm I'm a little bit older than you but yeah. in like um like growing up as the kid in the 80s like the 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 way that everyone thought of the future like the future like you know in the year 2000 2010 like not now it's 2023 but like yeah that it was just i, I don't know that the the expectations that were had for the future were just like they were so much greater and like mm -hmm. more um more optimistic technologically people always make that that meme that's like oh we were promised flying cars and like i, I never really believed in in that kind of stuff but it was just kind of this um you know th this idea that like i don't know the expectations were much greater that that like there was still companies on the moon and, and things like that it was just kind of um yeah there's still it, 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 a a hopeful vision of the future which fizzled sort of through the 90s although i think you you're a big fan of the 90s and i think a lot of us have a, a degree of nostalgia for the 90s as well but then definitely like post war on terror it just seemed like that future was canceled and i think that's always been a big part of you your aesthetic but also probably your politics too if that makes sense yeah and i don't know i've always like and but also just kind of um i've, I've always kind of had a an issue with a lot of this kind of like um like back to nature kind of stuff like going backwards kind mm -hmm. of kind of thing or like you know like 
only uh, eating uh, organic food or and, and all of the stuff, all, all of the stuff that you see is very like, um, like very anti-technology, which is, is interestingly, it's been like, it, it's been absorbed by like the, the dissident right and the far right, which is like, they're kind of, uh, which is interesting to me because like I said, because I'm a little bit older, like the kind of views that I see that these people have, like in these nationalist circles, it's like, it's like, I don't know when it happened, but it's like in 2004, like Gwyneth Paltrow ideas are now like what the, the far right, <laughs> like yeah. it, it's like, you know what I mean? Stuff that like, yeah. that like people like Rush Limbaugh used to make fun of and stuff like that is like, you know, these, these old weird, like, and, and even with like, uh, a lot of the, um, I don't know, a lot of the medical kind of stuff and like the new new age um, medical and homeopathic stuff that like- Seed oils, yeah. Yeah, that like, I mean, that when I was growing like Republicans would have made, you know, they would have laughed. That was like just some, some like, like weird, like Northern California, like hippie bullshit. And now that's like, kind of like taken as, um, that's been absorbed into the dissident right. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know, but I've never been of that, of yeah. that mindset. So. You're much a much more positive take on on futurism, uh, and that's reflected. I mean, I want to get into your poetry, yeah, uh, soon, and definitely um, in, in your books. And but one specific one that that really captures, I think, that vision of the future was your, I guess, two books back now, a Sky Train to Nowhere, which I looked at again in the lead up to this podcast. Really good book about the Sky Train um, that travels around uh, Phoenix's airport uh, and you just kind of sat on this and meditatively wrote out thoughts, but it very much reflecting the sky train as emblematic of this kind of future that we could have had type notion. And I think in that, you talk about the eighties too, I think one, one um, poem that stood out to me on another reading of this book um, this past week was uh, I think you even mentioned that you think this, fixation on on things like sky trains and that kind of futurism in general is probably ignited in 1986 at Disneyland at Tomorrowland right yeah for me anyways like I went to um Disneyland in in 1986 and yeah the, the Tomorrowland and, and all of that was like um I don't know it was just so incredible to me mm -hmm. that it just left a really big impression and um, and, and also just like a lot of the, the movies and whatnot, uh, at that time. And, and I wouldn't even say that it's like, I, I don't know, it's just kind of like the, the advancing of things. And I, I never have, uh, that's always just really resonated with me. Like I've always mm -hmm. been like excited about new, new inventions and, and, uh, and things like that. I think there was a time period when I was like six or seven years old that I, I wanted to be an inventor when I grew yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I don't, I don't know, but um, that's basically the way. And it's not even so much like a, um, from the political standpoint, it's not even so much like a, like an optimistic vision of the future. It's more like, okay, well, like th this stuff is going to be here. So you can either like, like learn how to, how do you benefit from it and use it? Or you're going to be like left behind and like, um, you know, subjugated by it. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> For the people who learn to use it, you know, it's like, it's kind of like when people complain about like um, a lot of like Silicon Valley, like tech stuff. And it's like, 
you know, you can complain about that. You can like whine about it and say that it needs to stop. Or you can be like, okay, how do I get in on this? Like, how can it benefit me personally? Like, yeah. Um, and there, that's, there's that notion. Yeah. Go on. <clears throat> I mean, that's just kind of one of the ways that my, I'd say my mindset has, has kind of been and, and also like evolved. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because I was going to say, just, um, you know, you, I was getting into this, like, you can trace sort of your trajectory from being much more politically engaged and idealistic to, to to where you are now, which is much less politically engaged. You can trace that sort of in your tweets and in your output. You know, these days you're tweeting a lot about going to Starbucks and going to the mall and then kind of just kind of like more cultural type thoughts, I guess. So you can kind of, there's a a certain yeah. moving away from, from the politics. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's no like, I mean, I just, I, didn't, I wouldn't even say that I had like some kind of like a change of heart or anything like that. I just, I basically just lost, lost interest. And yeah, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons which I've always found frustrating, and, and I feel like it's gotten worse, I, the like, the dissident political subject, uh, subculture is just like, I mean, it's just kind of like a garbage dump now. And it's always been been frustrating for me because they like it's always like they try to funnel you into choosing between these different factions and groups of dis that you, these figures that like I, I just don't have any interest in, you know, so it's yeah. kind of like and, and you see these these things like online where it's like, oh, well, you know, if you're not part of like bronze age perverts crew then then you, you must be like with nick fuentes or like you know some other rival thing and it's just like no like i just don't have int any interest in in like any of these people really you know and like, yeah to anybody who's listening like you know if you're like part of these group like i you know it's fine i don't i don't care like i don't have anything against these people but it's just kind of like i, I don't want to be like oh well if you don't like this if you're not a wig nat or something then you, you've got to listen you, you must be like part of like uh you know red scare and these other like these other groups and it's like no i just i don't have any interest in any of these like most of the the figures and things that like i thought were interesting and compelling those people are just not around anymore or they're marginalized so it's kind of like uh i'm just not that um not that invested i'm not invested in any of these people and um and that's one reason and another reason is just the and, and I'm sure that you, I know that you've dealt with this to some degree, but just the, the amount of, um, even for someone who's like, just kind of a periphery figure like me, the amount of um, just like stalkers and like creepy people and just the totally deranged people that <laughs> I've, I've had yeah. to deal with um, like over the years. And, and some of them are like, you know, like fans, you know, not, not yeah. even necessarily like, um, yeah, enemies or anything like that. If, um, but just, you know, I, I, the, the amount of stories I have of like creepy stalkers and just people, um, um, like weird people contacting me and stuff. And, and, you know, at a certain point, you just have to think like, well, I don't want to write about this stuff because I don't, this isn't like, I'm not, if I'm attracting these kinds of people, like I'm doing something wrong. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, a difficult I, thing to navigate. Yeah. Um. So, and, and like, and even like, I don't know. I mean, there, you know, there was that incident that, that you and I had a few years ago, which, yeah. uh, with that. And then there was also like, I, there was something like more recent where um, these people were claiming that um, they claimed that um, I was in that th th these, there were these like group chats or something dedicated to 
um, like harassing women or something. And, and, and they, they thought uh, they were calling me the ringleader of this or something, which is like, no, it's insane. If, yeah. Yeah. If, if you know me, like, I, I mean, I would never even join a group chat, let alone yeah. be, I, <laughs> be I the ringleader chats. or something. Yeah. Like, I, I, just, <laughs> I hate them. And like, I don't like, I'm a very like kind of standoffish person. So I don't really like, I just avoid that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. It's just like, and I would just have like these like, like random women like contacting me so i don't know like there, if there was somebody like impersonating me like doing this stuff and um i just would just have these people like contacting me like angrily like, like all over the place like even on you know sites like not on twitter and things like that just emailing me and i was yeah. just like and, and it was just it was all complete nonsense like i didn't even yeah. like um you know, I didn't even have any interest in, in any of these people. And most of them, like, I either didn't know who they were or like, just just barely that it may like maybe had like replied to a tweet or two, like a, a year or two ago, or something like that. Yeah, um, no, you, but, do, you do wonder if they like had the wrong person or something. But it's just there's this quote from a musician called Burial that I that I really like. And I actually may put it in my next book as like an epigraph, um, which is uh he was asked in an interview about, you know, responding to negative and insane comments online. And he said something to the effect of like, I, I try not to go online. It's like using a Ouija board. You let random people into your head and it can feel that way sometimes. And like, like that very creepy sense, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't know, like a lot of people are always like worried about um, like Antifa and things like this. But like, I, I found that, the, the creepiest people are the ones who kind of um, they might start out as, as fans like that. Are, and you just kind of like, they, they will, um, they just get, they get creepier, you know, or as time goes on. And, and it, what happens is like, and you know this because you're, you're a writer too, is that yeah. like, they, they kind of start out by like praising you like, Oh, I like, I like your book. I like this post that you wrote. And so it's like, it makes you feel like, like obligated like oh well you know this person is like a, a, i've got to let this person in because they're a customer you know i've got to like yeah. engage with them and stuff and then like it just gets like um i don't know i kind of learned the hard way that it's just like you, you just can't uh um you know you, you just can't do that like you just got to be like you know cool glad you like my book you know it doesn't it doesn't mean that like we're going to be friends or something like that yeah you gonna, have to have your guard up a little bit um so I, I don't know. And, and I think there's too many uh, people, and this is kind of why, why I checked out a little bit. There are too many people on um, that, that want a lot of uh, attention, like in mm -hmm. these dissident circles. And if you, and so I was kind of like, right, you know, get, getting to like p past the point of no return, I guess, when you get into that thing. And if, if you look at all of these uh, like accounts and people that are like, that are have gotten extremely popular or something their, their lives are just filled with like drama and like just pain i mean it's just kind of like <laughs> you know just just the amount of i mean if, if you look at just these figures on twitter if you just look at the ones that have like more than the, the ones who were around back in the day and like had like a similar level of um i don't know notoriety as Mm -hmm. as me maybe like uh, some of those people now that have like fifty thousand, hundred thousand followers like you know, they're constantly like being um, docs and having, you know, 
like videos of their family members posted and, and things like that. And just the, just the most kind of like deranged and like sociopathic and like sadistic thing. Like, and you, you just have to really <laughs> want to be in the limelight really bad to, yeah. um, to subject yourself to that. And like, I had things before where I had like, I mean, I've had like Antifa, like posting my family members addresses and things like that back in the day. And it's just kind of like, not, not that big of a deal, but, um, you know, like, why would you, I don't know, why would you do it? Especially if you're like somebody like us, so some of these people that are like, maybe they're paid operatives or, or something, or they have some yeah. kind of financial backing for whatever um, ideological thing that they're pushing. But like, you know, MFs like you and me that are just doing this shit for free, like just out of pure passion, like yeah. we're just, we're just chumps. Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's a difficult thing to navigate, though, because as you said, kind of in a different section of this conversation, like, you know, there's all these terrible things about being online and um, and what can happen. Um, but it's also like you have to like this is um, this is the reality now and we have to find or find ways to adapt to it. So you almost have to find like a balance because it's like I think it's really good to check out from a lot of stuff. But then as a creative person, you still want to have some kind of outlet and uh you know, whatever that, whatever that ends up being, whether, you know, you keep doing a podcast or even just uh, tweeting about going to the mall and going to Starbucks, you know, it's still, you you still build up a brand and it's, it's good. I'm glad you're still with us online. Yeah. I I think like, like one of the reasons that I I don't leave is that it's just, um, I feel like if I did leave that somebody would just like impersonate me and start like doing weird shit. So I just have to maintain some kind of presence. And um, I, I don't know. Also, like, I've, I've too have been struggling with a way to, um, I don't know, adapt to, to that and, and find a way to, like, promote, promote myself with, without dealing with deranged people. I guess the way that I've, I've decided to do it is just like, I think the way that smart people do it is you just get like, you get other people to promote your work for you. And yeah. You just kind of like, I, I don't know, I think if you look at somebody like Boyd Rice, you know, or mm-hmm. something like people like he doesn't he's not out there like he has like Instagram, but that's it. He's not out there like um, really, really getting getting engaging directly very much on all of these different. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Things. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. So that's the thing is like, um, so, look, sometimes I wish that I didn't have to like have a locked Twitter account and I could just go wild and like you know, shill stuff and just get like as many followers as I could get. But I just like, I I just, I don't find it to be like, um, you know, it just, it's 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 just the cost benefit analysis doesn't work out. And I mean, I think even, um, even, even for people who don't necessarily, whether they're just not talking about as many hot button issues or, or whatever the case might be, like even people who aren't dealing with, weird people online and, and doxing and things, it's still kind of just this thankless task to, to engage in promoting yourself too much. So especially as a creative person, I think you have to find the right balance of, um, yeah, as you said, kind of finding other ways to get other people to promote it or also just like, I don't know, I, when you make something, you want people to read it, obviously. Like, I don't want to sort of like shy away from that. But at the same time, I think there's also a power in just like making something for yourself um and kind of throwing it out there and hoping people like it i mean i i don't want to sound so naive obviously you gotta find other ways to get yourself out there but but in the ideal world um the the most the creators 
the artists who have the best sort of setup are able to do that. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the most significant artists and, you know, writers, artists, musicians, um, I don't think they're on social media all day. I think they're focused on their work and are able to put it out in that way. Um, yeah, I, I think so. And I've always had this, this kind of problem, um, which I don't know, maybe it's a problem. Maybe it isn't, is that like when I fit, once I finish something, and like release it, I'm just not very interested in it anymore. So it's yeah, hard no, for me to continuously yeah. promote because I've like gotten it out of my system, like whatever was in my mind, or like exactly no, that's whatever inspired me. It's so I don't have so that's kind of like <clears throat> um, that's also why I've never um, really spent much time pursuing like traditional publishing because when I first started out, like I kind of looked into that, and it would always say like oh like we we publish your manuscript like one year after acceptance or yeah, something. Right, I think right. it's like, I'm thinking like a, a year, like I'm not going to give a shit about this <laughs> after, a year after I make it. Like I might, you know, I don't want to like wait a whole, like, it's like, so that's the re main reason I like, like, you know, have using my own publishing imprint and things like that is because it's like, if I finish editing something, on like a Friday night or something, like the book is out on Monday. Like yeah. it is, I, I'm not like waiting, um, you know, two years. Some of them would say like we we publish manuscripts two years after acceptance, and especially no, with, this, yeah. with this other stuff, like a lot of the stuff is kind of like it's topical, it's contemporary. So in like in yeah. two years, it's not going to matter. And like I've had a lot of people um, steal my ideas and things like that over time. So it's like when I'm working on something, it's like I need to put this out before somebody steals it or something like that. Yeah, um, no, totally. I mean, listen, I shouldn't even say this because it's like friends of this podcast, but, you know, and this is actually not a bad thing, but, you know, even um, even smaller publishing houses like Terror House, like Matt Forney's, you know, uh, pu yeah. publishing house, which I published my book with. Uh, so this is not to say anything bad about it, but it, just talking turkey, like if, for people who are deciding whether to publish with a small publishing house or, a, or go for a bigger publishing house or self-publish, even Terror House, it's about a year. So, you know, yeah. it's like, and, and yeah. And, and like, I understand like why they have to, if they're, especially they're publishing a lot of stuff, you know, they have to focus on one thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's, their it's, fault. It's just, that's a, like, it's an inevitable part of what it is to be a publisher. And we needed to have publishers for, uh, you know, centuries, decades, like, like that was a necessary part of getting a book out there, but it's, it happens to not be anymore. So I think there is a strength in just putting, putting your own stuff out on, on completely on your own terms. Yeah. And, so uh, like other people would, would would sometimes say like oh well you know that's like if, if you if you don't have like a real publisher or something it's not the, but like they don't have, they don't get it it's like it's for me it's just like i don't want to wait a year for something to, to come out like after after i finish it that's really what it boils down to like not for any other reason um and also the 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 money too is like um a lot of like indie publishers like yeah, you're not going to be getting too much. Yeah, yeah, because because like, you know, they don't necessarily can they can't necessarily do much more from you for you promotional wise than you could do yourself. Yeah, they're like, looking for people who can promote themselves. And so, and like, yeah. if you promote yourself, like you you get to keep all of the money versus like you know getting a, a slice of like something of that's where you're not even going to sell that much more. Um, you know, if exactly, you, yeah. Um, but I could be wrong about that because some of these. Um, it depends. Know. It depends on the publisher. But listen, I think we're all. A lot of us are kind of strained to 
to read it all, unfortunately, if we have yeah. jobs or whatever. So it's like people are very selective about their books. And at the end of the day, just because there's a publishing house behind it doesn't, I mean, it can help with some connectivity and it's kind of a status symbol for, for a lot of us. So it's understandable. Yeah. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here, but, but uh, you know, um, getting, getting yeah. your book out on, yeah, go on. Well, and, and also the, like a, a lot of these, these books that are with these indie publishers, they kind of end up like out of print very quickly. Whereas like, you know, I don't have to worry about like rights and things like that. If I like want to, you know, if I want to make sure something I, I wrote 10 or 15 years ago is still in print, I don't have to go through any hoops to do that. I just made, you know, it's still available. It's not like some of these books from like the dissident right from a few years ago, they're already like out of print and they're like just completely disappeared, like impossible to find. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of advantage. I mean, I, I haven't I'm, I'm going to I, I don't want to miss miss misspeak, but uh, but pretty much certainly going to be publishing my next book this year. And I probably will end up self-publishing it. Um, I, I you know, there's a couple people I was talking to and, you know, there, I, I still wouldn't mind having the clout of like getting a slightly bigger publishing name behind it. But um, and, or even just maybe to avoid using sort of more of the I mean, so I, I don't necessarily want to self-publish through Amazon. Like I'd rather find like a smaller press or something. But right. at the end of the day, like it's going to hit I'm going to hit a point where it's like I just want to get this out there and I'll do do whatever, whatever it takes. Do you self-publish yours with I know they're available, of course, on Amazon, but you is that the I don't think that's the printer you use necessarily. Right. I, I mean, I've used like a bunch of different ones. Um, you know, I've I've experimented with with different ones. I, I feel like like Amazon is actually the. Um, the best one just because it is um it's the the most efficient yeah like I, i've used like lulu and some others but right um, lulu is tough that's <laughs> i know stark publishes those books with lulu but it's kind of a harder you know people yeah. have to actually go to the website there and they're like unfamiliar with the website it's kind of streamlined through amazon yeah i, I don't know it's just kind of like like the amazon is just the, the easiest and it's the best and it's also like like for me anyways, it's the most like it's become the best because, you know, they, they've dealt with so many like complete morons that like they're kind of like prepared for any contingency. So it's very like it's just very easy to do it because like they, they really like have it down to like a science. Um, That's good to know. Yeah, because I remember I was I was helping Stark publish his last book, um, Vaporfornia, and I was um, kind of impressed with how difficult i found it to format the book correctly and everything and we were we were using lulu so um i was kind of i was not looking forward to that if i end up publishing with um amazon or if i end up self-publishing i wasn't looking forward to that but it's good to know that's a bit easier with amazon <clears throat> um yeah i mean i i think it's it's i used to i used to use lulu i think i use that for like um skytrain right <laughs> Yeah, two, I think I used it for like two two books, and then um, SideQuest. When I wrote that, that was like through a company called uh, Wasteland Press, which um, that was I quite a while know. ago, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was like two thousand two thousand eight or two thousand nine. If you go on like Amazon, it says that it was like came out in twenty fifteen, but that's like uh, that's a lie. All I did was just like I remade the cover or something, and then I it just had like a new. Um, you know it just it, it, the book originally came out in 2000 
um, 2008. Actually, it was like it just it's the date is wrong on Amazon because I like corrected some typos and made a new cover. And then so so it says that it came out in 2015. Um, Right. You had a, a book even earlier than that, right? Oh yeah, the the, uh, the gleaming crest. The gleaming that was from like the '90s or something, even. Yeah, that was written in like '95, and that was like that was written when I was in in high school and stuff. In oh, the early. And some of the the poems from that were actually published in like um, national magazines, like uh, I know Plasm magazine and stuff. And that was like that was a really big deal for me because um, like I was in high school and, and to, to have like a poem that was, poems that were published. In, in a magazine that was like for sale at the mall, you know, it was like, I could, you go to like B Dalton or something and they would have it there. Oh yeah. That's sick. Yeah. No, I have, um, I know, I think Stark has a copy of gleaming crest that I read and, and enjoyed what I remember what I thought was cool about it was, um, that it, it's still, you still kind of write similar to that. Like it, you haven't, um, not to say that you haven't improved or anything, but like it's just a kind of I a similar. Hope I, I hope I definitely, did. definitely improved, but there's still a similar aesthetic even back then. Yeah, like you know, writing poems about like eating cereal and stuff like that. I mean, exactly. Definitely. Yeah, um, yeah there, there is, but I, those poems were written when I was in high school, and I think when I was like a senior in high school, um, I was really into acting, and I was yeah. in like, and I kind of like, I don't know, like junior and senior, I kind of larped as like a like a sensitive poet or something yeah. like that i went through a phase of like that where i was kind of I, I think a lot of um like writers and poets like kind of start out that way whereas like you know <laughs> i thought like, I, I wore like a turtleneck you know and i yeah. had that kind of um kind of that that 90s like long kind of angsty like you sure. know like boy meets world kind of hair haircut. oh yeah 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 like, <laughs> um so yeah, I don't know. I've, senior year, I kind of like LARPed as a poet. And so that's why like in some of your like the early poems and stuff on uh, the Gleaming Crest is it's kind of like I, I wrote about stuff that like I just imagine poets would write about, like with like poems like The Lonely Beach and things like that. They're yeah. just kind of like <laughs> um, and, and even the, the title of, it, of, its, of, of that book itself was the gleaming crest which was just something that had like a grandiose kind of poetic feel it doesn't even really mean anything you know and yeah it was, uh, the the original t- title of that book um was was going to be uh blight colors and um i don't know why i changed it i think that it just um i think that i ended up use, using the type the the title of that to for a a song I used, I made later called uh, "Bright Colors That Fade." So I just I didn't use it. Um, so, right. but yeah. Anyway, the, the Gleaming Crest, written while I was in high school, it's like painfully dated. Even references like a couple of like totally forgotten like '90s like commercials, like a commercial for Aptiva like computers and yeah. things like that. Like, well, that's um, what I mean, though. I feel like that that kind of cultural reference is like still kind of finds its way into your world aesthetically. So there is that, I don't, yeah, I don't mean that there hasn't been uh, improvement. It's just that there is that linearity back to it, yeah. which is and cool. there, there, yeah. That is also like a very kind of, I think that's something very um, kind of late, late Gen X about that is like a people, a lot of people don't understand that, that like as an eighties kid, like our, our lives were basically just consumed with like television, television yeah. commercials and like Saturday morning cartoons and things like that. I mean, commercial jingles. And it's just kind of like, um, 
I mean, it was just so deeply ingrained, like the, the kind of 80s, like childhood consumerism, which like, you know, probably like horrifies a lot of people. But it's just something that is is just like a uh, um, it, it's just so deeply ingrained. Right. Well, you used to this was a, a more political, I guess, incarnation of, of Brandon Adamson. But your your Twitter byline used to be NutraSweet Nationalist. <laughs> this was before the perfume nationalist. who I think you used to be like good pals with. I don't know. This is kind of a similar similar thing there where it's like kind of a culture and we talked about it with Stark too. Like, yeah, like a, just a, a kind of nationalism or a kind of nostalgia combined with futurism, but that's like very rooted to like a non-traditionalist sort of eighties, nineties thing. Um, right. Like a, like artificial, much. artificial sweetener. That was like, you know, like all the rage in the eighties and that, but now it's kind of like, um, you know, not, not seen it's it's like looked looked upon negatively or something. So yeah, I, th- I did think that you know NutraSweet National or basically like I, I was like I had an '80s mom, so I was like raised on like diet, diet Pepsi, coke, diet yeah, coke. Yeah. yeah, because my mom was into like you know, aerobics and like leotard, the shoulder pads, like the whole you know the whole thing. Like my mom was basically like the like she was like a character like on the show Dynasty, basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, with yeah. like just the, the very like like stereotypical like 80s um you know 80s with like you know diet coke in the fridge and and uh um and all of that i don't think my entire time growing up i don't think that we ever had like regular soda like in the fridge once like not even once not not even like seven up or something i mean it was just like it was diet soda like from uh, from till the time i was 18 so i never like um so yeah that was kind of um yeah, that no, was part of it. It's funny. I um, my mom used to drink Diet Coke as well, and we didn't really have any other soda in the house, so I kind of grew up stealing that. But always lighter, you know. I'd st- I'd steal it from her because she didn't want me to have any of it. But I'd still like steal a glass here and there, and I didn't like it as much as I liked regular Coke. But now, um, I I I not even just because of the health, uh, thing of the, having no calories, but I really prefer Diet Coke to regular if I'm going to be drinking soda. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I still drink it. Like, I don't know. I, I don't drink a, as much of it as I did at one time. And, and there was also like a time when I was like, I went through this weird phase when I was like, maybe like 23 or, or 24 when, I don't know, I, where, where I felt like, um, I don't know, like, like that my, my like, my appearance wasn't was going downhill or like or something like that i wasn't yeah. looking good anymore and I, I thought like you know everything went downhill when i moved out and i stopped drinking diet coke so maybe like that's the key you know <laughs> the, the like elixir of life of yeah like, because i like hadn't been drinking like caffeine or like and i'm like well maybe like it's because i if i start drinking this stuff then i'll look like i did when i was like 16 you know i'm going to start drinking this stuff again and like doing all the same stuff and so I don't know, I kind of like subconsciously, I kind of kept it that way. Um, and I think on, on a sub subconscious level, I still um, I still think that way where it's like if I'm drinking a Diet Coke, it's like I'm still um, I'm still I'm a kid again. Like the moment I open one of these things up. Yeah, no, completely. <clears throat> it's making me want a Diet Coke. Yeah, no, like. Um... Yeah, so the trajectory, not that this was necessarily on my outline, but we're talking about it, like the trajectory of your life was you, uh, 
uh, you know, you kind of want you you acted a lot in high school, wanted to be an actor, had a kind of sensitive, attractive image you were trying to bring. You you moved to Los Angeles, right? And then, yeah, I, w- I was in. Yeah. I did. A, I was in a couple of commercials for um, for Gap, which like right. one of them. I've seen that. Yeah, still, one of them you can still find online. The other one, um, I've never been able to find. And like, I was like, um, I don't know. I was in, in extra like in a, in a few movies like a kirsten dunce movie things like i worked on that for like many days and i had like an agent out there i didn't like i don't know i just didn't um mm-hmm. i didn't really like uh, acting like when i i was very good at acting actually but i i didn't really like it once i was actually like doing it because i didn't like how um I don't know. I was, I was just too self-conscious about it. And I didn't like the way that it was like, it was very scary to me that it was like people would um, like you had no control over it. Like people were just filming. There's like a huge camera in your face and you're just like, you know, I can't just delete this if I don't like how I look like somebody's, you know, it's going to be yeah. a, a thing or whatever. And I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't like the way that um, I looked that much, which is kind of like, I don't know. Looking back, it's kind of absurd because like I was probably like kind of in my prime then, but I was just kind of, I used to think like, Oh, you know, what's going to happen is I'm going to get in this, like on a show or this movie or something. And, and all of these like people from high school or whatever that I want to impress, they're not even going to be impressed. They're just going to be like, wow, he looks like shit now, you know? Oh, That's well, all yeah. think, you know? So, and it was like, it was untrue, but I just kind of, it was something that was like, makes you self-conscious. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, that's why I was like, um, I don't know. I was more into like making music and things like that because I could just like, I could just make it. You have control like, over it. Yeah. I have control over it. And, and also like, it's like, you know, even if other things going down and I feel this way about, about writing also now is because it's like, you can, you can write everything and it's not, you know, you're not under like a microscope for you, you don't have to like maintain like your appearance 100% and, and all of this other things like, um, you know, the way that you, you'd you have to in something that's much more visual. Um, yeah, no, completely. I mean, I also have this in common with you. I guess I was very into acting in high school, never really pursued it in college and certainly not past it. Um, and I actually, you know, so I live in Los Angeles and like I still sometimes wonder, like, should I have tried that more in some capacity because i don't think it was bad at it but uh i do think that would get to me i think acting is a profession where if you're a really good actor a really successful actor um who can kind of pick their own projects you know the most successful actors eventually are able to even produce their own projects uh that's amazing but it's it's kind of a profession where if you're at the top, you're really at the top. But then there's like this huge sort of middle class and lower class of people acting professionally where it's this creative, <clears throat> creative profession, which is great. But you have such little control in comparison with literally any other um, kind of art you could, for the reasons you said, you know, it's the camera, especially in TV and film, um, but also even probably with if people who are, who are, you know, act in theaters like you just you really don't have control it's a very it's like one of the most blue collar sort of artistic professions um and it's very very difficult and competitive and all these other things um you know i know a lot of actors out here and i i don't envy that lifestyle at all it's really hard right and and also like even when i like what i learned from just like 
like being an actor like in a small capacity was that like um like growing up you, you had the, the like almost like kind of like this glorified image of like actors and i don't know but then when i like would actually like be on these these sets and things like that i realized that like the you know the actors like they get yelled at you know they're like kids at school they're not yeah, even no, it's they're rough. not yeah. like these like you know totally like like glorified things like you know maybe somebody like huge like like tom cruise or someone like that but like for the most part it's just like you're just like you know you're, you're treated low like you get somebody yelling at you constantly like no 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 don't stand like that don't do that and it's just kind of like they're clearly not the, like they're actually like almost being used and it's really like the producers and like the directors that are like really the like the big the big shots not just like um and, and you even see that now too with a lot of like the the kind of the me too stuff that is just like it's almost kind of like pathetic you know that these people are just like you know passed around and just kind of used and they have to like basically kind of like um you know, subject themselves to all kinds of like abuse and humiliation to uh, to do their to do this job, and and so they're like, I don't know, it's kind of it's pretty bad. It's like, yeah, you don't. It's yeah, it, it's um, it's a pretty bad scenario. And like, uh, what was I gonna say? Um, yeah, no, there's this people 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 have a notion like, oh, you know, you can kind of hit it big, um, but but you really can't. A lot of the most successful actors now um i'm not even i'm not even like anti i'm not even like trying to insult the actors um but a lot of it's like nepotism and like you know you, oh, you can you can have a series like i actually like lena dunham's girls for example which now it's kind of an old show to even reference i, I think it's a good show i think it's interesting but um but like yeah her her parents were you know had connections and 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 whatnot like you know it's yeah and and you you know yeah. this as like as as someone who lives in Los Angeles I like very much discovered this like when I um started living there that like it, every single person is like the son of some or, or daughter of somebody important so like exactly. even yeah. if it's like some small actress or something and you think that like you know her like her dad or something like he he might not be like a household name, but it's like he was the screenwriter for a famous movie or something like that. Like they're yeah. they're all they all have something um, like that. Like I remember knowing a girl, and you would like you know her dad wrote Revenge of the Nerds, you know, or something, or like yeah. I'm like even if like, even if no one cares about that movie anymore, that person still knows people, and it's like a very insular club. And by the way, I don't even mean to say this. I, I I'll add the caveat. Like I understand this is just the way the world works. I don't necessarily think yeah. Hollywood is like ridiculously more nepotistic than than the rest of the world. It just is a rather small and elite community of people who know each other. Yeah, and or, and, or it's just kind of like it's also this kind of thing though, where it's like people think like, oh, this person is like you know, they really like paid their dues and made it what like this person's so talented. But whereas like, if you live there, it's like, yeah, they kind of are talented, but like the, they got the job because like their dad was a casting director or something like that, or <clears throat> a producer or something, you know, even like a really good actress, like, um, like Zoe Deschanel or something. I mean, her dad was like Lawrence Deschanel, who was like a famous cine cinematographer that did like Braveheart in all of these classic movies. So it's like, um, yeah. you know, no. yeah, go on. They're, they're, you know, these people are basically like, you know, groomed for that, like from a very early age. And if you're just coming in from like nowhere, um, 
year or something like that like it's 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 much more difficult it, it was actually seemed like it was actually easier than most people think but i think that's just because for me that was just the the age that i was at i mean like the, the first time i ever even like auditioned for anything I, I got it so i was like i was like oh this is you know be smooth sailing but like I yeah, think that well, if I if I was there if I was there like now trying to do that like at at my age or something like I would just be like I would be up shit creek you know it just so happened I was like you know I was like twenty years old and I'm like oh this is what are you talking about this is hard like I got like auditions all the time you know I got like getting callbacks for everything you know and so forth like yeah um, well you can definitely like you can get those rules I just think there's like a whole sort of like not underclass is a bit of a harsh word but yeah basically underclass of actors who like they're work they get the work but they're never going to sort of transcend that middle ground of like the best you can get is like a a, a series regular role or like a recurring role on a tv show is kind of like the holy grail I, I just you don't see a lot of people sort of transcending out of that to the point that they're really you know getting good theatrical roles or uh you know movie roles or like certainly not they're not gonna get the shows of their own like it's you get what i mean it's like there's, there's kind of a closed system of like yeah you can work on this low level as an actor but there's no like if it was a regular type of job what they'd say is like oh there's no upward mobility right and i think also that you know one thing that's different from the time that i lived there is that because of the way that the the internet has exploded and like streaming and so forth that like los angeles isn't really the the epicenter any anymore for for that like you know you have people who are just like you know the people on these shows that are what like, there's so many of these kind of um like shows that they're like they're just not that big anymore compared to like some of these YouTubers that are like these streamers and stuff yeah. that are just like in, in like bumfuck USA or something like th some of those people have like millions of subscribers. They're like super famous compared to, um, you know, so I, I think that that kind of like superseded what, um, you know, Los Angeles, because when, when I was a kid, it was like either you lived in like Los Angeles or New York or like you had zero chance of, you know really doing anything entertainment wise that would ever get any kind of notoriety but now that's not the case i mean you have all of these people like yeah uh, pewdiepie and all, and all of these kind of like just random streamers and, and even like the 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 political streamers that are just fucking huge i mean some of these people are just from they're from fucking like uh some small town in in uh south yeah. carolina or something like that and they've got like a million you know million subscribers or something like that so i think that's one thing that is has definitely changed is that Hollywood is no longer like this kind of, um, you know, pr prestigious uh, place. That's just the, the epicenter for, for all entertainment and everything. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of went downhill a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. It's no longer at the epicenter. People are able to audition remotely. It's uh it's a very different scene uh, here now than it was when you lived here, but um. <clears throat> Anyway, we could probably keep going on that and maybe we can return to it. But I definitely want to talk about your new book, Atlantean Wavelength, which came out at the end of December of 2022. Yep. Um, it uh, really enjoyed it. Great book, uh, great little volume of poetry. Um, so, you know, we talked about The Gleaming Crest and Side Quest, which were, I guess, your, your first two books of poetry. You have a few more since then, just to kind of, you know give the context here for listeners, you published a great book called Beatnik Fascism in 2016, which as just conceptually still 
looms large in my mind. Uh, we talked about Skytrain from to, uh, Skytrain to Nowhere. Um, that was 2018, I believe. Rats of Nationalism isn't poetry, but you published that the next year. And this is your first book back. Um, I guess you've taken a few years between Rats of Nationalism and this, but uh, what um, what sort of called out to you? Well, I guess before I ask that, uh, I'll, I'll kind of read this little blurb uh, from Amazon. Um, you describe Atlantean wavelengths as a collection of nimble ruminations uh, that channel the time-bedding, fate-defying energy of the lost continent and collects a few bittersweet souvenirs along the way, um, which is a pretty apt description. What um what sort of called you called out to you uh, to, to to write another volume of poetry? Um, well, I don't know. Like, for for one thing, I have been um, I have other like unfinished works also mm -hmm. that I, no that doubt, I started yeah. after after twenty eighteen. I was starting a. a Another book in that time period that's like still unfinished, which was another um, poetry book. And then I started making Atlantean Wavelengths in early 2020 because I don't know, I wanted like a, a, um, a like a volume of poetry that was kind of more um, more timeless and kind of exotic and and wasn't really wasn't tied to um really any anything political or something I almost wanted something i wanted to write something that was like kind of a, a like a classic um in 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 a, like almost like a kind of a timeless yeah with a lot of uh allusions to mythology certainly yeah you know mythology and like astrology and just kind of like a, yeah. a, a exotic scenery and things like that something that was just more i don't know more poetry oriented that wasn't like um I don't know. It wasn't really tied to uh, contemporary politics or even like, uh, you know, like mm -hmm. contem contemporary living or anything like that. Yeah. It was just it was just kind of more um, ethereal. And oh, yeah, absolutely. So that no, was what. Yeah, go on. That was what originally um, started. And I started writing it. And um, then through through the, the course of, of writing, I, I didn't really like have any idea like. I don't know, like what kind of direction that it was going to go in or anything. I just mm -hmm. knew like that was the kind of book that I wanted to write. And so I kind of, um, I started writing it in, in 2020, which is like, uh, it's weird to think that like, you know, this book is only like 35, 35 pages or so. So like, why does it, you know, how can that take yeah. years to write? But, but it's like, you can, no, no, I get it. Yeah. You, you, you can set something aside for a while and you come back to it. And it's also like, um, I don't know. It's kind of a lesson I learned is that like you need to like not make something long just for the for the sake of like having a, a book that's over a certain length or something. Like you really got to like it's better just especially to, like, with poetry. You got to distill. You know, these are distillations of feelings, right? And and aesthetics. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's like, and it's also like, it's like you really need to make it compact because. Um, you know, what I learned from my previous books is, is that if you just have like, if you have like one or two like bad poems in there that are just kind of filler, like that's what people are going to remember or they're going to point to and be like, you know, oh, this this sucks or something like that. So you really just can't have any. Um, yeah, because beatnik fascism, for example, like it had a number of poems that were um, were bad. But at the time, like they, they were just kind of, those were just kind of filler poems to 
you know, to to contribute to the mood or, you know, to to, yeah. to give it some of the more beatnik flair, you know, that they're just kind of just a few things that were just filler in there that just kind of contributed to the the overall ambiance. But that would be the thing that people would point to and be like, well, there are definitely some bad poems in here, you know, or something like that. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It was just kind of like I came to this conclusion that I just would like I, I'd rather have a rather than try to stretch something out or keep something in there that I like regret having in there later. It's just, I don't want to like torture myself in that way. I'm just going to make it compact. And it's just like, okay, this is whatever. It's like 37 pages. So that's, that is what it is. Um, no, well, and, as I said, I, I like how compact it is. And I like, I think it, it, it really, um, the, the, the meaning of it, the overall, not like message in a moral sense, but the what, what you were trying to convey with it, I think, really comes across. We can get into that, but you were saying something you can finish. Yeah, well, like I said, I started writing it in, in 2020, and then I didn't really have a direction where I knew it was going to go or like, you know, what thematically, like what what the narrative was going to be or something like that. And then so it's very interesting because the because the the. It, it lasted like such a, a long period of time. You can see kind of the, my trajectory almost with like within the, the book itself, because I had like started dating a girl like early yeah. on when I was writing it. And so you have like poems that relate to that. Like when I started dating and then like I, when the relationship was like over, then I like wrote the rest of the book, you know, and you can see the, the kind of, it, it gave the, the narrative like um i don't know it just it, it gave me the answers i was looking for to to write it because it was like the the book lasted basically over the course of this relationship that i had been in at the time and so when it was over then like the book was over the era was over and it was like that was um you know yeah that, no, that no, was no. Worth um, I don't know. I think that, you know, that that probably makes sense to you. And, and you can see how the, like the almost like the, the trajectory of it within the book itself, if you're like paying close, close attention to it, even yeah. though like the poems aren't, aren't necessarily in the order that I wrote them. Like you can you can still sense like. Um, yeah, there's, you know, a, there's the, a sense of a, a sense of of some loop of time kind of closing for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so. That, that's how the uh, the book is and it's it's even like when the beginning you say it shows that it's like oh you're dedicated to a certain girl it doesn't mean that it's like really um dedicated to this person it's just kind of an acknowledgement that like this was a particular era a particular time that you know that yeah. this this was this was this particular era and <clears throat> Um, when the era was over, the book was over, and it's just kind of acknowledging that, like, okay, well, this person did inspire some of these things to to be finished, so I have to, like, give credit where it's due, you know? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Well, you have that poem in there, Sagittarian Girl, which I assume is uh, <laughs> related. Uh, yeah, it was. Like, I started, um, you know, I, I started dating a girl, and, I like, when we first started dating, like, I I wrote this poem called Sagittarian Girl, and and, like... You know, and at, like my astrology sign is a Cancer, so right, right. you know that that's not a compatible sign with a Sagittarius. So like, <laughs> it, that, is Cancer that, is it? Uh, it's not a fire sign, obviously. It, what what type of sign? Uh, is no, cancer? It's, a, it's a water water sign. Water sign, I believe. The um, 
Huh. The, so uh, the Cancer and Sagittarius are not no mesh. No, they're they're not they're not compatible. But I, you know, so when I initially wrote that poem, it's interesting because like I kind of like that was like right when I started hanging out with this girl, and the the, the poem essentially like predicted the entire tra trajectory of everything like that was. Um, the yeah. way that yeah, the way really that happens. Yeah. So, so like two you know two years later you can look at it and it just it just like i mean it just aged like fine wine because it was just like because... you know wow I, I wrote this the first you know the first week i was hanging out with this person or something like that and it's just like spot on holy shit spot. yeah well because the stars you know it's it's like it's written in the stars that's literally the idea right yeah and and you know that a, a lot of people who a lot of people who are familiar or like who know me from political writing or something, they're looking for like very like political subtext to this book. Cause and they find that because that's what they're like looking for. Or that's what they're expecting. But, but really like the, what the, what the book is really about though, is, is just this idea. It's more of a romantic book, but it, I guess you could say that there is a, even if something is like non-political that it is that in itself is po a political yes, kind that's of, kind of my read on it yeah um but but you can say that like i mean what it's really about is just the, the this this idea that like in the the in the world of the, the contemporary like the harsh world like you're basically like you're on your own you know that's just the way like you're on your right. own and right like, you need to come to terms with that and like adapt and like thrive and and just like fight and just be you know you just need to have the have the will to survive and adapt in like a very harsh contemporary world and you're 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 on your own and like that is like that's really if there is a message that's like that applies to a lot of different things but um you know that's just the way that i, I feel um is 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 the is the mindset to to have even if you you know, even if I don't like like certain things about how our economy is run and stuff, it's just, it's just kind of like, well, you know, people can complain about BlackRock and like Peter Thiel and all of these people. And it's it's also like you can be the person who says that, like, oh, you know, all of this stuff is awful. Like, what, what can we do? We got to stop it and all this stuff. Or you can look at it and be like, OK, well, like. I need to figure out what like BlackRock is investing in so I can get in on that. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, the, the, so that's kind of what, um, I don't know. That's in a in essence, that's, that's what the book is about. And it's also about the, the, like the will to, you know, and this is almost where it gets kind of just the, the will to, uh, to almost like d defy fate, you know, to just to, to and, and yeah. the, the concept, the consequences of um you know the, the concept like you can't have a book where you, where you talk about like you know having the, the willpower and the tenacity and, and like the the resourcefulness to defy fate w without also like it, it's just kind of cheap to give that a happy ending like you have to you have to point out like what the consequences are of that like um of, that, know, of taking that but, stance of being that kind of outsider fighting the odds it has its consequences yeah. yeah right and 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 it's like you 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 have to acknowledge that it's like that it's painful you know and that like but you yeah. just still you still do it like you still like 
um, kind of in, in the, you know, not to give it away, but just the, the last poem where it's just kind of like, just really like struggling to, to just tr tread water against the, the current, like just stubbornly, you know? Um, and yeah. that, yeah. um, no, that's I mean, kind of listen, I, I don't want to spoil the poem, but I, I do find the last line of the book very, uh, poignant mm -hmm. if I could read it or not, you know, you tell me. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wouldn't read the full thing on here, you know, but I mean, you can, you can, I if mean, you want to. Listen, I, I just really like the line. I'll take this out of the recording if you don't want to. But I, the, the last line, and this gives you a flavor for for what the whole book sort of leads to, is the last line is, an empire destined to be submerged waiting for the divers. Um, right. Or, which and, I like uh, a lot. I, yeah. You know, And people have, like, I don't know, read into that various things. But essentially what, what it means is that, like, um, you know that that people will will i don't know will will basically you you can attempt to do the, these these great things and you just you stubbornly try to to push through and and succeed and and really defy fate and like the the known laws of, of nature i w i don't want to say the the laws of nature because like i don't think you can really defy those it's just you you just discover new boundaries to them basically mm -hmm. like but it's like you you attempted to find this and in the, in, the, in the end like what you know what happened eventually like you know it, atlantis sinks you know and you're and you you end up drowning you know you die yeah. you, you drown you, you die but you're you're waiting for the divers because like you um you know you you're the, the mindset the mentality will will survive and it just needs it will need to be found by somebody else who's willing to exactly try. exactly well right. that's that's so that's the that's what atlantis is that's the that's what you know the atlantean wavelength is is that sense of being someone um who who is in some way very civilized right who in some way is in touch with this spark of of sort of civilizational energy um, but also being in a world where uh, that kind of spark is um, sort of snuffed out or I mean, I don't know how you describe it, but but it's a very memorable image of, you know, the Atlantean if in, in your book, there's a very memorable image of, you know, the Atlantean is someone who is, you know, born in today's world, just naturally atomized because it's the Atlantean wavelength like that Atlantean spark is not something that exists in your view, and I, I tend to agree, you know, in any community of people on earth, um, but rather is just something that you can find in individuals who then have to find sort of each other. Is that a, is that a fair sort of take on it? Yeah, exactly. Like, in other words, it's not particularly, it's not like a widespread mentality, um, especially in this age that we have now of like, of like, I don't know, like populism and, and all of this kind of like uh, a lot of back to nature kind of stuff and traditionalism and things like that. You you have to find these kind of, um, I, I want to see like these, just these eccentric dreamer types who still believe, believe this. And sometimes you see them in like the Silicon Valley tech people that everyone hates, you know, or some of the new things are just the, the um, you know, just, just various kind of, types of people that they're they're we don't we don't live in in a world where that is the the uh the ethos right right now 
Yeah. So it's kind of like you, you really have to, and it, it may not even be that that is like, um, you know, th- that's, that may not be even throughout history. That's not necessarily a default or common mentality to have. And I, I you could have written the same thing 200 years ago or something that it would, it would have been, had the same, somebody out there would have had the same sentiments. Um, so I don't yeah. know, even if you take some, someone like, um, like Elon Musk or someone who, who like, I'm not really a fan of or anything, but you just take an example of like, you know, his rockets exploding or something. He's just like determined to get to Mars or something, even though yeah, like, no, there's something most, most people would be like, what well, you know, why do we, you know, why do you know, why do we need to go to Mars? Who cares? Like, let's just like, you know, sit, sit in a field and eat weeds or something. And just, you know, like play the flute or something like that. I mean, that's yeah. like, a, that's an exaggeration, but not, not, but much not really, it. but not much of yeah. one. You know, there's this mire of sort of modern life that most people are just sucked into. And I, I do think it's hard to find people who have that spark of something higher. I mean, I really kind of responded to that uh, right away uh, while reading uh, Atlantean wavelengths. Um, and if, and listen, if you don't, I don't want to do this too much. If you don't mind, I, I really like from the first, I read the last line of the, of the collection. I really like a line in the first poem, just a few lines that I, that I will read that I think sort of, captures this idea you write the descendants of atlantis can be counted among our own though few and far between as a lost civilization's genetic aesthetic and psionic remnants um and and that's kind of for me uh, at the heart at the heart of the collection is that sense of being uh, a particularly attuned kind of person um looking for counterparts in a world that um you know very much does not that, that that is very smothering to that kind of spirit um um yeah yeah and and i would you know i would say that that that's spot on and like also like one of the the inspirations for for writing the book is that like when when the, the myth of atlantis right, right was that like i was always interested in but it, it always kind of annoyed me that it was like Oh, that that Atlantis would like this was like the bad guys. This is like a metaphor for like how not to be or something yeah. like that. Or or and and it really kind of um I don't know, kind of irked me. There was like this there's this publication called The New Atlantis or something like that that I remember being interested in because I thought like, oh, this sounds great, you know, the new Atlantis. But what it was all about, it was like anti- transhumanism and anti all of this stuff and it was about like a warning that like the u.s was that we were becoming like atlantis and then we were headed for a fall or something yeah. i'm just thinking like like i was hoping that it was like it would be like a pro atlantis like yeah. the mindset thing and it, and it wasn't and it also kind of irked me because it's like i don't even i don't get the sense that we live in like a a new like i, I wish you know exactly like I, yeah I, I wish like that that um that we we were still trying to in some ways you could say almost that like um the the like post-war like 1950s america was like had had, had much more of that spirit you know with all of the the rockets and like the the moon landing and and all of these kinds of things um and and just like the building of um you know great cities and just the the real like um i don't know just the, the real attitude and everything like that so it's like I don't know. It just yeah. kind of irked me that there's this publication called the new Atlantis, but it was like, I, I was hoping it wasn't like, it was like anti 
Right. right. No, it's, a, it's it's an annoying and I think very misguided tendency on the right wing and among conservatives. And unfortunately, you get it a lot with even post alt-right and dissident right people now, too, which is the, where they levy the totally, totally inaccurate criticisms at the powers that be at the establishment. Um, they 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 criticize it for for things that are both not true and that actually like it would be better if they were true <laughs> almost like well, like this kind of thing yeah. you're talking about. Like, no, they're not, you know. I mean, one example, and um, some like Bronze Age pervert even talks about this is, uh, and I agree with him on this, like uh, the, the, any kind of Pizzagate obsessions, like you really think that, you know, all these people are, are engaging in like weird sex rituals. Like, I mean, uh, Pizzagate aside, because that's obviously supposed to be pretty heinous, but like, you know, I, I wouldn't give them that much credit in short. Like, I don't think there's anything interesting sort of sexually going on up at the top. I think it's much more sclerotic than that and then so that's just a silly metaphor but then also with with bigger picture things like um transhumanism i mean there's just there's not that energy like i guess the, what i'm trying to boil this down to is a misguided thing on the right is is accusing the the left or the establishment of, of doing all this nefarious stuff with this this secret energy that they're keeping from you and uh, i actually think that's all nonsense like it'd be better if there was that kind of energy and instead it's it's something much more sclerotic yeah, I, I I agree, and it's something where it's just kind of like I don't know, like you see that a lot with like the Clintons, where it's like you know, like like Hillary's just not that interesting, you know. I don't know, yeah. she's not, you know what I mean? They're not like um, I don't know. Yeah, the establishment that we have is not like this, um, you know, it, it's not this really like hyper futuristic, like transhuman, like idealistic transhumanist thing. It it, it really isn't. Like it's like you know, like Bill Gates trying to feed children in Africa or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so oh, for sure. Um, the Atlantis, the Atlantean spirit is uh, very, very different. <clears throat> Just to um, refresh my memory, the, the Atlantean myth is what well, they were giants, right? And they got to sort of, um, well, what, 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 yeah, they, they, what happened is they were like, um, it, it was like a very like technologically advanced kind of, empire and and then what happened is they started to get like i i don't know they started to get too big and like defy the gods or defy nature or yeah something it's like, like the that. tower so of babel story right yeah exactly so it's like they had to be um you know but it's kind of like to, to me a lot of the, those kinds of of narratives and this is um like why, why i i kind of reject a lot of like biblical stuff also is that it's it's almost like it's meant to con like control like the, the average person that's it's meant to teach them a lesson like you know don't try to go get above your station you know just be happy with with right with thought. And well, i find that like in in a lot of like re religious belief whereas i i feel like it was like it was kind of meant to um, it's uh, what nietzsche would have called slave morality not to or, get or name like, droppy but yeah or just like, or just as a, as a means of pacification, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, don't, don't worry about like material gains or, or anything like your reward is going to come in the next life. You exactly. Know? So, so just, exactly. just be happy, be happy, like working out in, in a field and like, you know, eating dog shit or whatever, it's <laughs> like, you know, not, not, not so much that, but it's like, don't worry about your suff suffering, like, or, or like, don't worry about you know getting this or getting like your reward is going to come in the next life it, it almost just tell it reminds me of like what i don't know 
like a CEO or something would say to like his like warehouse employees. Yeah, like, no, precisely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, don't yeah, worry, well, you're reward. You're going to be rewarded, you know, eventually, you know, or something. You just like, you just learn how to. Because I used to work for this company also that they um they they subscribe to this like this creepy kind of ideology called the fish philosophy. Oh God, that um, sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was like, it was basically when you had to do like seminars and this stuff, learning about it. And then uh, basically all it was, was it was just like, you know, teaching you to like love your job and like Ugh, learn how to yeah. make, you know, l make the most of your job and, and stuff like, and it was just kind of like, but it was a way to be like, well, no, if you want me to love my job, like pay me more money, you know, no, like, exactly. not, you know, like it was the way, like, instead of paying me more money, you're just going to teach me this philosophy. on like, why I should be, you know, having a shit eating grin on my face every day at work, just, like, <laughs> loving it, lo loving every minute of it or something. It's yeah, like, dare I even ask what fish had to do with it? Or do you even remember? Well, because it was, it was based on this like um, popular, like fun kind of business in Washington that was like uh, it was like a like a, a fish place where like these like i don't know these these employees they would like have so much fun like tossing fish to each other or something a fish market basically it was like a fish market job is where it <laughs> you, you can you can you can read about this and you can see some some critiques about it but it's kind of like and this is where it's saying when people are like oh you know don't go for material it's like no if you want me to be happy like working for you then like you know, pay, pay me more money or like give me more the tangible benefits, not this like this abstract bullshit where it's just like teaching me to feel good or something about what I'm doing. Like, yeah. Um, yeah so, you know, whatever. It's like uh, what yeah. that uh, Jerry Maguire, you know, like show me the money. You know, exactly. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, this this notion of being sort of against that mindset, I think, has been a kind of perennial theme in, in a lot of your work, both in terms of uh, political and transhumanist stuff, but also your um, poetry. I immediately, when you were talking about uh, how a lot of these Christian and other, not even just Christian, but other morality tales often deal with, um, you know, normal people getting put in their place for getting too big for their boots. I remember uh, in a Sky Train to Nowhere, you you have a line, because uh, we know Icarus did nothing wrong. Uh, it's definitely, I guess, a a theme of yours, which I really appreciate. Uh, yeah, because like, you know, that was the, the myth of Icarus that he he like he flew too close to the sun, you know, and they would get like so he had to get his like, you know, the wax on his wings melted and he fell. God, yeah. But um, what was I going to say? Yeah, no, it's um another thing I remember, Brandon, from like kind of this was probably on Robert's podcast, Robert Stark's podcast back in the day. But you mentioned, uh, I think in like Sunday school, was it like from an early age when you were kind of exposed to like the Roman mythology and the gods? Like you, it was, it was like obvious to you that that stuff was a lot cooler than uh, than the Christian stuff. It, it was just like it was more. It was just more compelling to me, and like, it, and even like, I don't know, like aesthetically, and and part of that is is also like I went to Catholic school, and it was just very. Um, I don't know. I always thought that this stuff like, oh, you know, turn the other cheek and it, that that stuff was just like so cheesy. Like, oh, yeah. you'd have to you'd have to be like a complete fucking, you know, chump to to, to, to go <laughs> yeah. along with that. Whereas like and, and even like when when you when you talk about like Icarus, it's like, yeah, he he flew cl too close to the sun and like 
you know, and he fell, but it's like somebody had to do that to like see where the limits were that you could go, like constantly pushing the, the limits to see like, well, how far c- can you fly? How high can you fly? And so it's like that also like when just like, a, you know, Elon Musk or says rocket exploding or something like that. There's who like, ha, huh, you know, your rocket exploded, but it's like, okay, but like, at least he launched it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, somebody, you know, somebody had to see like how, like what, what what the limits are like how you know how high could you go or, or or what so it's kind of like and that is kind of like he falls but then like you know you're waiting for the maybe there's going to be another person who tries and who's able to get a little bit higher yeah you know? exactly exactly um so yeah. well i uh, sort of already asked about this but was there a specific moment you know 2019 2020 when you kind of realized like that you were going to be writing about atlantis and this notion of atlanteans um um, a specific moment so i don't know because i think it really works as a theme no not not really there there was there was not um like a specific moment it just kind of grew out of uh, I, well i guess you know i guess i should uh, get into that a little bit whereas like um so originally the book was called little mallets yeah and, and there's a poem called that yeah and it, it and it was kind of um weirdly in, inspired by like a, a small um like a, a small chat book that somebody sent me which was like um who you would remember this person but he's completely forgotten now which is patrick doyle oh yeah um, yeah yeah wait do you do you know how he's doing <laughs> i i mean i have no idea he disappeared off the face he did. Of i tried to look I, him I, up I the other like, month i couldn't find anything yeah like, Doyle. i think i have know, yeah 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 I, I think another chapbook you're talking about too keep, keep going yeah it was called like little caligulas or something yeah like yeah that. yeah i had that printed out somewhere yeah and um so i don't know so originally i was like you know writing this book called little mallets and and what it was like essentially about was like a um you know a mallet like a hammer and it was it was just kind of about like um you know, these different poems would be like, like working different things out in your, your problems, you know, basically hitting them with a mallet, mallet and, yeah. um, and, and working them out. Um, so I don't know like how it evolved into that. A lot of it was just like, I, you know, it, it just kind of morphed into that because that was only like one single poem, little mallets and um, j- just expanding from there. Somehow it, it, it morphed into like an Atlantean. Well, I think I can see the connection in a weird way. Keep going. Yeah. And I have like, um, I don't know. A a lot of the, the poems I write and things like that are like, I I tend to write like while um, one of my like, you know, creative things that I do are basically like, I um, like I, tend to watch movies that are thematically like related to whatever I'm writing about. Like while I was writing fascism, I was watching a lot of like beat beatnik themed movies and things like that. And then, so while I was writing Atlantean wavelengths, I was watching a lot of um, like Atlantis themed movies, like obscure movies. And those, the, the, the themes from those and like the motifs like were, you know, found their way into my work. And so there, there are like references to, um, you know, a, a lot of those things are what, I, what I'm watching. One of the, the um, movies that I found somewhat inspiring was like this obscure um, Italian spy movie from the 60s called Operation Atlantis, hmm. which um, 
which if you if you look you can probably find a watch online i know it's like um it's on like you know amazon prime or one of those but it, it used to be the whole thing was on youtube i got like a, a bought a bootleg dvd of it somewhere and i used to watch it like hundreds of times like while huh. i was right i would just watch it over and over and basically the, the the plot of that movie is that this guy is like a um i don't know he's like a spy but he like but kind of like a low rent kind of james bond type and he's just like kind of a i don't know just, you would say he's just like an average you know yeah. kind of um like n- nobody that that not that incredible of an agent or anything just kind of a whatever and so he gets like like recruited on this job to go to this place where supposedly there are like people there claiming to be the survivors of it love atlantis and like this is the like you know in in this mountain or whatever this region there's those like this 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 like the atlanteans are there and they're they're working on these weird bizarre weapons and things yeah. like that and so like i don't want to give too much of it away but it's like um i don't know like th- thematically it was very interesting to me and that's well that's where i talk about like in in the book you know there's there are mentions of the, the survivors of atlantis or something like that the, the first poem actually um which is called the orphans of atlantis was originally titled the survivors of atlantis yeah. but i thought that that was like that orphans would be better because i felt like um that was just that was more how i felt like an definitely orphan. it conveys more of that atomization again that Atlantean mindset is like uh, a much more sort of atomized thing in, in the world as it is much less of a, um, it's not like there's some secret group of people who are like of that mindset who are working together. It's much more atomized. Um, which What's interesting is, um, and tell me if this resonates, I think there's kind of an interesting connection between this book, Atlantean Wavelengths and Beatnik Fascism in that I think there's um there's some conceptual similarities. I feel like you're kind of talking about almost the same mentality of being a kind of elite, uh, sort of aristocratic, radical type of outsider in both beatnik fascism and um, and then landed wavelengths and beatnik fascism. The, the the name of it is more or less inspired from an episode of The Twilight Zone involving some aliens who kind of visit uh, a small right. town in America um, in the guise of beatnik bikers. So it's that kind of mindset of like they're they're they are from somewhere else they're perhaps a more evolved being but they 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 kind of are we're among you disguised is very much like a a a message in beatnik fascism and and a kind of um there's kind of a a a will to fight in that book because this was from that 2016-2017 era of of dissident right where there there was a lot of like hope that these some of these trends in the dissident political sphere could actually change the world i think that really comes across in beatnik fascism Whereas Atlantean Wavelengths, it's still that same sense of being an elite outsider, but it's, as you said, it's more, it's less about um, kind of grouping up and, and fighting the establishment. It's a kind of more, how do we adapt to, to this the way uh, that it is? And, and maybe the best hope is to kind of build something for ourselves and our loved ones and our, you know, uh, like-minded people that, that perhaps divers of future generations would find. Does that resonate? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, almost there are a lot of parallels to, to beatnik fascism, just in the sense, and also the sense of like, not, um, even at that time period that it was written in, in 2015 or 2016, like there was the the same sense of what I conveyed earlier, which is that like, um, not really, not really fitting in 
like politically, but then also like not fitting in with the politically dissident um, options, which was always very much an, an issue for me, uh, even even back then. And I think I had like a poem in um, in in beatnik fascism that I think was like really ahead of its time in, in yeah. that it, it said like the poem was like something like a, a, mov a movement magnified or something. And it was essentially like from from far away, it looks like there's some there's like a coherent, you know, dissident consensus here. But like when, when you look closely, you see that they're like these people don't agree on anything. And I think that yeah. that's like that that really like turned out to be like what it is. And, you know, we can argue with you all day about like what 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 forces had a role in like you know dividing and like pacifying these different groups and just kind of stirring up shit you know whether it's like yeah well you talk a little like, bit about in rats and nationalism too yeah i mean you know exactly but then when atlantean wavelengths it's the same kind of like um alienation but it's like it, it's in a way it's even it's like more positive it's just kind of like you're 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 just on your own like you know but yeah. you can but that's okay because like you can just go for it man like you're on your own but like there's a joy whatever. there can just, be a joy just to adapt yeah. and survive like you know the yeah um, i think both kind of the struggles described in atlantean wave atlantean wavelengths as well as the joys kind of reflect that mindset of you know you're on your own how do you how do you survive? And, um, you know, there's something to be said on both angles. I mean, it's, it's definitely the Atlantean wavelengths is far from a negative book. There's a, there's a great romanticism in it too. Um, which I like. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like beatnik fascism was also, I mean, that was written at probably like my, my edgiest time period. Yeah. yeah. For, I mean, for, for sure. So it's like, even now, like, um, people will, send me poems and things from that book and and like i you know michael anisimov like was huh. like you screenshotted one of them where like um you know one of like my edgiest poems from that or something that like um and he's like whatever happened to this guy you know or something like that and i didn't even yeah. remember writing it i didn't even remember like holy shit i can't believe i would even write something like that you know it was yeah. like something i forget what it was it was like a poem called like match matchbook club or something and it was like that you know just where they were like a match you know ready to ignite you know and so all this stuff very it that was, was very the feeling like, yeah it was very kind of like it had a, like a revolutionary like energy to it which it i just did. i don't i don't have that um that anymore and i think part of it is i'm also um um i don't know i'm i'm much less naive than i was at, at that time yeah but, but but like yeah but it's it's all it's not just you i think it's like the whole like everyone i don't know it just was such a different time i was listening to some of the podcasts you did with robert back then and, and um like some of the mute like the fash wave music from back then it just it was right. so long ago but like it, enough people bought into the idea that like there was this change in the air with trump and everything that i don't think anyone is really totally the blame for that um there was a sense that there was an opening there and i think there really in actuality there wasn't but uh but that was just the energy of the time you know yeah well and, and i think that like part of the problem too was that there were um there was a sense that that there was this this energy for like a new um i don't know that that, that for some there was some kind of like a revolutionary energy there but it, when it got right down to it, like 
you know, these people didn't even agree on the direction that things. Well, definitely. To go. Yeah. And, well, that's and, another. And, yeah. Uh, go on. And and still um, and, and still don't, in fact. But I, I mean, I think that also I was much more naive about the um, the amount of subversion and, and things that go on in, in distant circles. And like I, I became like more. I mean, you know, like one time I've like. You know, I met up with a girl one time and I found her LinkedIn and it just she like she had worked for like Homeland Security and things like that, you know. Yeah. So it was like you know, I just had like very limited knowledge of how like how rampant the 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 kind of subversion was. And not just from like um you know, I don't mean like just from like feds and things like that necessarily, but like also the, the like the foreign influence. And I think that you, you certainly see that with like a lot of the dissident right is like um, kind of like the the alienation that that we have as like as political dissidents is like it's very much seen as something to be exploited by um, countries like like Russia and China and things. So it's like yeah they they can, they can like they can they exploit like our alienation to to cause chaos in in our country, but like for their benefit, like they don't actually care. Uh, about that and and it's very like frustrating to see like a lot a lot of the dissident right just like you know just wholly eat up all of these like clearly absurd like like kind of like like pro-russia talking points yeah and, like, i remember but, you were kind of a holdout on um the kind of russia ukraine thing that i like, you know is still going on but no one's paying attention but obviously from last year i think you even got some uh richard spencer retweets off that because he was speaking similarly at the time or still is yeah, and um, th that's like the thing, and I'm not, not even necessarily like that invested in the conflicts. I I just don't like, I just don't like being used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as as yeah. as a pawn. Like my, my, I don't want my alienation to to be like ex explored. I think that's like a, a like a Colin Liddell talks about this sometimes that it's like the it's a balance that like you have to find as a dissident, like being critical of, of your society, of your, your government, um, without allowing yourself to be like, just used as, as a pawn to be like yeah. weaponized by some other country, you know, cause when like the, I don't know, somebody from like, um, you know, Iran or, or Russia or somebody gets up and, and talks about how, like, you know, they're based in the U S is gay or something. I mean, it's just like, it's just bait for like the, these people to just go, um, you know for you to eat up and just like basically be um be like a become be a traitor um to 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 your your country or something like that and yeah, yeah um i don't know it's just kind of like it's almost like you know if i came to that conclusion on my own it would be fine but i don't like being like pushed by yeah like sort of psyoped yeah yeah and sort of like all of these kind of um these super shady like like influencers like things things like that and, and when the like the russia ukraine war started you had all of these people like um you know anatoly carlin and and all these people yeah. <laughs> i used to know who i used to Very know quite, quite well that were saying yeah. that like you know the, the russia was going to take over the co whole country in like 48 hours you know uh yeah uh, kiev was going to fall in in uh 48 hours or something all of these like these that were cl clearly like you know maybe they're not they're not all necessarily like um you know agents or something like that but it's like that you know they're like why are these people you have to wonder sometimes like why all of these accounts like why are they tweeting in english 
like for for a western audience instead of like tweeting in russian like for to for their own people or something like that like i'm not going on like russian social media and being like you know hey guys like russia sucks you know here's why (laughs) you know you know what i mean it's like why why there's a reason why they're like tweeting in english to an american audience or to you know trying to influence europeans or something like that now maybe they're not all uh, agents or something like that but you should you always have to keep in mind that it's like well these are people from other countries who have their own resentments toward the u.s and they're like trying to, to um you know to push you but they're like really just patriots for their own country like they don't care about you yeah um, yeah and i don't know that's just that's been a, like a big thing yeah um, it's part of what you write about in rats of nationalism and there's that general theme of um subversion and I don't know. You've been a very, because you've been online so long, and I was going to say this at the intro, but like, you know, so uh, we obviously go back to 2018, but you, you know, you have kind of like Stark, you know, like very early roots in this, which is cool. Just kind of an aside, you even um, famously or actually not famously, but should be famously uh, vouched for Trump as early as 2011. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which people can go back and find. I may, I may link that because it's kind of impressive that you saw around the curve with that. Um, where was I going with this? Just talking about how you, you've you been online uh, for a long time, but but I think that kind of gives you a bit of a, um, like 2020 vision on sort of like what's what the, the real dynamics of what are going on. Because when people kind of first join up on Twitter or whatever, it's easy to get blinded by like the trends of like, oh, this is cool. Like this must be true because this account, which is really popular is saying it, but you've kind of been around, you Brandon have been like around long enough to kind of see these things cycle through and, and the way that they, they work enough to have that longer term take on things, which I think is good. Yeah. And also like, I mean, I've often like, like been like way ahead of the curve on things like that. Like with Trump, I mean, with Trump in 2011, like, you know, I can see, I could see what was happening because like, I just simply like paid attention to what he was saying and the arguments yeah. that he was yeah. making, and which were like, um, you know, which those things were in like 2016, those, those things all like came to be like the central issues. Um, I guess you could say the things that he was talking about in, in 2011 when he wasn't taking, when I like, I endorsed him, I think in 2011 and he wasn't yeah. even taken seriously as a candidate. Yeah. For at that 2012. Point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's always been, and, and even like when I wrote The Rats of Nationalism, which is already kind of a dated book, you know, filled with like errors and confusion, but, you know, now but interesting, talk yeah. about that. everybody talks about that stuff all the time now, like where it's like, you know, the kinds of things I was talking about uh, there, people talk about it all the time. And there's like, um, you know, almost too much. So, but it, it's kind of like when, um I've been online, like I've been blogging since 2001. So yeah, like, no, no, that, yeah. That, that's when, that's when I started blogging. My first blog post, like I think officially was like me writing about going to the, the mall to, to watch the print, to see the princess diaries. And huh. like, they, they, they wouldn't let me, like I had a big thing, a diet Pepsi and they wouldn't let me bring it in the theater. So me and my friend, like, instead of like, we just like snuck into the theater from outside the building. And then, so I was able to bring my diet Pepsi in to watch the princess diaries. And that was like my first ever <laughs> blog post. That was like, that was pre nine 11. So that was, those were the last kind of days of innocence before like, um, you know, before the shit, the shit hit the fan. I, I always believe that like in, 
that the nineties really ended in um, when, when nine 11 happened, because yeah. that was when the, the entire dynamic changed to like this weird kind of confrontational, like almost warlike. I mean, you could even say that maybe the nineties ended like with the, the, the 2000 election, like the, the recount and all of that. But I, I really feel like nine 11 was when like things were like, Oh yeah, no doubt you know things just like everything was just the whole attitude with fashion like everything was just different the whole vibe was like you know so it was so much like before that like in the 90s like like people that talk politics but suddenly you'd be at parties and stuff and people would be like arguing about like the, the iraq war and things like that and, and bars and stuff like that which you, you know in like 1999 and stuff when it was just fucking like, you know, Backstreet Boys and all Britney Spears and all that shit. Like nobody gave a fuck about yeah. any, um, anything. So it was like, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I've been Different online era. for like a, a, a really long time. And I, I've been blogging since 2001. I'm actually like, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I've just, I've got nothing left in the tank, you know, but. Huh. But you keep um, it going. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, and another thing with the, like the subversion stuff is the way that like, you have to look at it is um, the U S constantly would like, you know, props up dissidents in places like um, Iran and, and Russia and stuff like they kind of create and, and uh, promote these dissident figures that are, you know, critical or, or whatever. And like, so you have to like realize that other countries are doing the same thing with people in the U S that are critical mm -hmm. of our government. Um, and in fact, in like the early days of the, the alt-right, and this is like much more evident in hindsight. Now you had these, um, these sites like Russia, Russia today and stuff that were like promoting uh, like alt-right figures. I think like Richard Spencer was interviewed sure. by them, yeah. like this first big interview. And I have been like mentioned in articles before, like they've like featured my tweets and things like that in different yeah, yeah. articles. And they were like, various like alt-right figures that were actually like writing for some of those publications um and um i don't know i never like i never had any interest in it because i never like um i don't know i was you could say that i i maybe i kind of fed into it a little bit with my like um you know like promoting like uh non-interventionism and things like that so that could be like beneficial to you know, perceived as beneficial, but I was never like into the whole Putin is based. I always thought that yeah. like the kind of like the the like Russian like you know machismo and all of that like it's, I always thought that that was that was like so corny and like lame yeah. and just kind of like backward. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I, I don't know that none of that ever resonated with me, but it obviously re resonates with like a lot of the dissident right kind of like I don't know like the 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 gym bro kind like the bro. Right. Which is like, I don't know. I, I like, uh, you know, I consider a lot of those people that are like really misguided because it's like, they think like, Oh, you just eat and, and lift weights and get ready for the, like, it's like, like, you, you know, the, the country is like, and it's not going, the future is not going to be won by like, you know, in, in that way. It's like, you're, you're just the best thing you would, you're going to become like a bouncer at a bar basically. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to be like, you know, some somebody like like Zuckerberg and these people that are just kind of like, yeah, maybe they, they don't like they're, they're they're the ones that are like, um, you know, getting real power. Like big deal. You can lift weights and you can like stand in front of the mirror and take selfies or whatever. But like, you know, you're not going to be like wielding a sword and uh, yeah, 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 um, no.
So, well, I like what you've said is like, um, you know, you have these issues with different factions of the dissident, right? But you're also kind of friendly with people. I know most every different faction. I feel like kind of and this ties into probably what led you to a space like the dissident right in the first place. But uh, but even within it, it's kind of this aversion to to these bigger groups that make you kind of sign up for different, um, you know, bullshit ideologies or like or like i don't know even with altleft.com used to kind of talk about how like you know why what just because i believe x y and z things about immigration or whatever like why should i also sign on to this other like you know trad stuff or like stuff about the environment um i feel like there's always a kind of uh willpower in your work to like not be lumped in but instead kind of take every issue on its own and like also you that's the way you deal with um individuals as well i feel um yeah completely i mean even like um you know there are a lot of people in in distant political movements that if they don't like if they if they don't like someone or somebody's from like a, a, a certain political faction like they will like anything the person says, they will like almost like intrinsically disagree and attack them just because they're, they're in a different faction. Even people that like, I don't, you know, that, that I'm blocked by or that I, you know, I'm not particularly a fan of sometimes like bronze age pervert will say things and I'll like, I'll be like, yeah, I, you know, he's right on there. I totally, I completely agree with that. And sometimes yeah. like, or Fuentes. Yeah. yeah Nick, Nick Fuentes, like sometimes and it's, it's almost, it's what's amusing is it's, it almost always happens when it's like, it's something that like the majority of people rally around to attack a person over is like the, the one time that they're saying something that I agree with. You know, huh. this, hap yeah. this happens with like Fuentes frequently. And it's like, you know, people freaking out over something he says that is just in my mind is just like the, the plain truth of, of the matter. Yeah. The same thing with bronze age pervert, you know, the things that people freak out at him about sometimes. And uh, Spencer, all, certainly Spencer, um, yeah. And, and, and just all of these different people. And I also have like a strong, uh, very much a strong personal loyalty, especially to people that I have um, been friendly with for, for many years. So it's almost like, you know, some of these people that were around in, in um, the 2015 or whatever, like they've all kind of gone on, on different trajectories and paths. But like, I don't really hold that um against any of them it's like i kind of feel like you know we we were all there we, we kind of like you know we, we fought the wars so to speak like we were, yeah. we were in the mix and like we all lived through this through this particularly um intense and bizarre time period of politics that we were we were a part of and it's kind of like so you know people will say that like oh you know what how come like you still talk like spencer's so cringe now how can you talk and it's like man, I don't care. Like, I don't, you know, it's, it's like, who cares? Yeah. You know? no, his trajectory like, is kind of interesting. And I heard he did this interview with that podcast, No Jumper. I don't know if you saw anything about that, but it's like a much more mainstream sort of source. And uh, I thought he actually composed himself very well. And I don't agree with, uh, you know, I, I don't agree with a lot of his old stuff. I don't agree with a lot of his new stuff, but, um, but, you know, he, he makes sense when he talks a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and I don't, there's a lot of stuff he says that I don't agree with, but it's just kind of funny how like, there's always this pressure to like, just disavow people and things like that. And it's just kind of like, you know, I'm just kind of stubborn. And I just like, don't, I don't do that. But people always yeah. assume like people would always attack me because they would think like, oh, this guy's an Apollonian. He's a, you know, because I would follow Mark Brahman or something, which is like, 
No, I'm, I'm actually not an Apollonian. I've never been, I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm not really like, a, I'm not an Apollonian. I'm not a Spencerite. Like I didn't vote for Biden. I voted for Trump both times. Like I didn't. Yeah. You know, so it's just, this is, there's this idea that like um, you're part of this. And, you know, I have another friend who's like, um, who was really active back in, in 2015. Um, and, and now he's like prominent in Fuente, Nick Fuentes circles. Like, yeah. you know, he's gone on that kind of trajectory and it's like, you know, it's just like, if I'm like loyal to someone, if they've been around, if they were around back then and like, you know, we made it this far, like still being cool, like, you know, just like, who cares, man? Just exactly. Like, yeah. Just, well, I just, I just ignore it. If, you, if they post something I disagree with, like. Exactly. Uh, no, I think that makes sense. Yeah. There's that loyalty element, which is good. Um, the one thing I was going to kind of highlight at the beginning of the show is that one of your, one of your, I guess, some, maybe not as long term, but, but someone I associate with you online is Brendan. Luso, formerly known as Gorgonzola Man, you went on his. Uh, I haven't heard this yet, but you did an in-person tales from the mall with him recently, right? Yeah, and I was on his. Um, I was on his podcast once before, like two years ago. Right. And oh yeah, I heard. I did hear that one. So yeah, case in point, you know, he comes from a different kind of background entirely, but uh, but very much <laughs> on your wavelength in terms of being like a mall rat and also living in Phoenix. So makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Um... I don't know. And and also like, like, and this is another thing that I think is, is like personality has always been a really like big thing to me mm -hmm. because like so many people in the, these dissident um, circles just have like absolutely terrible personalities. So like I can like, even if I don't agree on someone about with a lot of stuff, like, you know, it's just like, oh, thank God this person has like a good personality. You know, it's like, yeah. it's fun. You know, I don't even like, I don't even care. Whereas like, there, there are people that like, that I agree with like 100% that I would be like absolutely terrified to meet up with in person or like, and I think <laughs> this is like actually like is kind of, um, you know, this is also kind of, I think relates to politics in a way is, and, and kind of my, my disillusion because like, even if you, if you were like, when I was like edgy, like, you know, kind of like, um, you know, on, on the periphery like, of like white nationalism and things like that and the dissident right, it's like, sometimes I would wonder to myself, well, like, but like, what, what's the point of me if I like, if I wouldn't, wouldn't even want to live in the same neighborhood as these people, you know, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't want to. So like, how can I like band together with these people for like this mass movement that's going to, if I just like, if I wouldn't even like want to hang out with them or like live in the same neighborhood or, or anything like that, because a lot of them are just so like, so surly and like, um, just like, na yeah. nasty yeah. and like sadistic, like even the way that like, um, I don't know, even the way that I see them like attack certain people online, is just kind of like, it's, it's, it's so like scuzzy to me. Yeah. You know? and, and also like, makes me feel guilty because it's like oh when i used to get angry and stuff online like did was was i ever that like fucking nasty well, probably like, not but yeah no i get i get the get the idea uh, for sure yeah <clears throat> well before moving on from atlantean wavelengths um i do want to talk a little bit more about astrology you gotta as we talked about there's kind of an astrological dimension to the whole book recurring themes and you've written about this stuff elsewhere um there's a great poem in atlantean wavelengths called fabric of astrology where you kind of lay out i guess your views on this in a poetic uh manner um but it's interesting because yeah. you you're basically an atheist right but you kind of 
believe pretty sincerely in a lot of elements of astrology. And I say this sympathetically, I'm kind of become more interested in astrology recently myself. Um, yeah, well, I would say that like that I'm an, I'm an atheist, but it, I, you could also say that I'm, I'm agnostic. I, I would say, yeah, like my, my religious views are like, even if you, I can see the arguments for like, like why people would think that there's like an intelligence, you know, Mm -hmm, behind the, behind, the, yeah. behind the universe or something or something it's just like my my feeling is that like okay well like even if the the universe was created by something intelligent it's like for me there there's like perhaps like our minds aren't evolved to to perceive it or we don't you know whatever the, whatever the case may be like um i don't there's no i don't see any sense in like definitively making claims about like yeah the nature of like of what that intelligence is or like what it wants or like what what how it wants to be worshipped or like whether it even should be worth worshipped whether it wants to be worshipped or like what um you know if it's good or bad or if it's like you know if it's if it's neither if it's like kind of amoral like i i just i don't see anything in like any need to like to make the like these really definitive claims about yeah. like this is exactly what it wants and so it's like people like take this leap where it's like um yeah like you know like aha you know look at this tree or something like that that means that the, the universe was created by something and then it's like okay but like how do you go from that to to like saying that like you know the the ten commandments are like the word of god or right. something Right. You know, it's kind of it's it's a it's a leap I'm not willing to to make, and um, so I, so I would say that I'm not, an, like I recognize that I think that there are like there are limits to to human consciousness, and there are things we can't, you know, we, we may only be perceiving like a small amount of reality, yeah. um, in the same way that like um, like a mouse or something like it can't talk, but it, it doesn't even know like what talking is or something like yeah. that. So it's like, yeah. it, it, so it's like, it doesn't even know like what it doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm like conscious Agnostic. that, yeah. yeah, that, that could be the case, but, um, it's just simpler to just say that you're an atheist because I find that it just is like, um, I don't know. It, it's just, it, it's, it's a it's, distinction without a difference to, to someone who's like a, a true believer, like, you know, it's it's blasphemous to even like not recognize whatever they claim the truth is like in any capacity. So like, yeah. um, so in, in terms of astrology, uh, like I I I don't know. I believe in in astrology, like in the sense that I, I do believe that people's moods and things are are affected by, um. Mm -hmm. uh, the plant the planets and like you know, i mean you could say environmental forces really like the, the moon affects the tides and, and these kinds yeah. of things like they, they really do it's like saying that like the weather doesn't affect your mood because really the weather is just like a microcosm of these like um i don't know like forces i guess you would yeah, say yeah yeah you know, to completely no I, um, I try to think about it sort of scientifically like that as well and um you know you can kind of the energy of the moon as it were especially i guess in theory especially as a cancer you're supposed to feel that right well right but but that brings me to to my next point which, which is what like what i really believe is wh why astrology is useful um it, number yeah. one it's it's i think it's useful just as like a, a, a as a metaphor and i like it as uh, aesthetically like as, as a simple yeah. form of symbolism Sim similar to, to maybe how some people might view religion maybe some of like the less less believing factions um 
But I think that from a sociological standpoint, astrology is useful because like if somebody like tells you that, um, you know, they're a Sagittarius or they're a Scorpio yeah. or something like that, you know, you can infer from that, 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 that person um, has probably absorbed like characteristics that are associated with those signs just because they themselves have are are interested in it so it's like you know you can you see this online all the time with where like a girl will be like well uh you know i'm a pisces so that's why i'm like this or something like that yeah. so it's like from it from a very it reinforces it, yeah from like they, they've they've absorbed some of these um these characteristics just by the fact that like from uh, from an early age of like reading about their sign and knowing what their sign is and, and all this stuff that they've they've kind of like they've manifested those characteristics of like oh you know i'm a i am a cancer so like therefore i'm kind of introverted and i have like a, a thick shell and i don't like let people in so it's kind of like it, it doesn't even matter if it's like on, on the cosmic level that it's like bullshit what matters is that like you know that person is you can you can you can know something about that person just by the fact that that they're interested in, in yeah no definitely, definitely. Yeah. um <clears throat> so that's basically my belief on in astrology i you know whether or not like you know the, the 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 moment that you're you're born on a certain day you know 30 years ago or something like affects your personality for life or something i uh, you know i doubt that that um, I doubt that there's any real truth to that, but I think that it also is like, it, it doesn't, yeah. it, it doesn't matter because if you've been from five years old, you've been reading your horoscope and thinking that like, you know, you're, you're a Leo and therefore you're like a lion and you, you act this way and you're extroverted all this stuff. Then it's like, if somebody tells you they're a Leo, then you could be like, Oh, you know, maybe we're not compatible because this person is, pro is probably absorbed yeah. these characteristics and, and they will just like, you know you will um if somebody else believes in astrology they're going to be like that's going to be an obstacle like if your signs are incompatible or something even if it is bullshit it's like the person in their mind has already said yeah. that like so that's you know, yeah, yeah it can never work because this per this person is this or something like that even if it seems ridiculous um you know and yeah um, yeah no it's interesting i, I remember you always kind of posted about it, and i always assumed it was uh pretty aesthetic based which i think it partially is you kind of like the aesthetics of it as as do i but but i liked in fabric of uh astrology the poem in atlantean wavelengths how you uh sort of unpack you know the the effects on your life that it can have um and i thought that was cool and i mean i, yeah. I also i don't know if this is a leap but also obviously astrology is in the planets are kind of have attributions which are also tied in with various gods so it kind of it kind of always it tied kind of tied for me in in general with that sort of light paganism that you have sort of aesthetically as with the theme of Atlantis even. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely, and there's also I think that there's also an almost like a timeless quality about it because you can you can see like a um, like astrology in, in in very like classical times, and then but it, it's also you could you could even see it in like more futuristic incantations like um like Battlestar Galactica or even or something yeah, like that yeah. you know where it's like it, it just it's kind of it's almost uh a, like a timeless kind of metaphor and I, I think that there is a certain kind of um 
and this ties in with the book a little bit where there, there's, I, I, I perceive like a certain kind of heroism involved in the, um, in the defiance of like the, 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 the forces and the stars and yeah. all of this. there's kind of like in overcoming that there's just like certain kind of heroism, even if it's something as simplistic as like, well, you know, like, you know, it says right here that our charts are incompatible, but like, you know, I'm going to find a way, you know, or something like that. Yeah, like it's good. By sheer will, just pat, you know, sheer passion, you know, overcome this or something. I think that there's something heroic in that as a, as like a metaphor. Um, so that's what it's kind of like a motif uh, also. Definitely. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're rounding out a couple hours here, so we should probably wrap it up soon, but I did, um, I'll let you kind of promote anything you want to promote or say. Um, I, I also wanted to bring up television briefly. Um, I've always kind of appreciated your uh, fanship of uh, Melrose Place. Is that, have you been, have you revisited that anytime recently? Uh, not in the last few years, but like, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of cycle through different uh, old favorite shows. Like Melrose Place was a very kind of a, um, is is a show like as almost like as superficial as it is it's it, it is very like much of a coming of age um yeah. show because when when i was like i when i got my first apartment it was like in a just these ghetto apartments in uh in phoenix and it just came with like basic cable and so the mm -hmm. the only channels that it, that i got for cable with this apartment were the um the family channel c-span um I think like CNN and um, and the E channel, right? Yeah. So like, of those, like the, the E channel was the most compelling uh, at the time. And they, on the E channel, they they would show uh, reruns of, of all the time. In the morning, they would show like, and this was kind of epic for me. They would show they had this segment called o Old Faves, and they would show reruns like of WKRP in Cincinnati, One Day at a Time, and uh, and Alice. Yeah. And so I would get up at like five in the morning to to watch those, but they also showed reruns of Melrose Place hmm. uh, every day, like like twice a day, like once in the morning and then once at at night. And um, so, in the, the show, Melrose Place was still on at the time. They just were already like syndicating reruns. Um, yeah. And but it, because it was on every day, like I became very much like. Um, I don't know, like captivated by this, this yeah. show. Well, that's was kind of my experience of watching it when I watched on Hulu. Just like, man, this isn't the best show on earth, but it, yeah, it's got that soap opera element of uh, really sucking you in. It gets pretty outrageous pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, it gets like, it, it gets outrageous, but, it, but it's also like at, at the time period I was watching it, like I was like very much like alone. So I became really obsessed with like the show's characters and things and, and like, yeah. I would like, I, you know, I'd write songs about the characters. Right. Well, I know. Yeah. Right back where I started from uh, your birthday boy uh, album. Yeah. <laughs> from that, I mean, that was, that was re recorded yeah. in, in 96, like while I was watching. And it, it was all about the trajectory of like Michael know, the character, Michael, who was always my, my favorite character on the show. Um, yeah. His love life is one of the most it's kind of like once that starts going awry at the end of season one, I guess. That's when the show kind of really starts. Uh, it goes to some pretty insane places. But yeah, yeah, and and like I don't know. I I always like the the reason why I always found the character Michael so compelling is that like, um, 
he was kind of like I wouldn't say that he was like the, the villain of the show, but he was like kind of like he was portrayed as like really a not a kind of like a snake, you know, not, not yeah. a very good guy, really. But like there are moments in the show where he has like there he has these kind of heroic good deeds or these heroic yeah. moments that you're just like those are like the 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 um the best parts of the show and i I kind of wrote a little bit about this in um a book i was recently working on that revisits some of that time period and Mm. like um and it it kind of even ties in with atlantean wavelengths a little bit where like the 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 best parts of the show are the ones like where you find like as people right that Mm -hmm. they they continuously like 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 our nature like as our personalities and everything like we you know we try but we continuously fall in the same traps and make the same mistakes you know and, and you know keep falling the same pitfalls like over and over you know we keep in, in relationships or whatnot we keep finding ourselves in the same predicaments over and over and like the like the, yeah. the true the true moments of, of like personal heroism are like are found what those moments when we're able to overcome even briefly like, like what what our what our nature is like our what our personality is what our like yeah yeah what, yeah. Our, what our hang-ups are or something like that and and like that was very much like how i felt about um melrose place and th- those are the best moments of the show are when the the you know the characters even if you take like you know matt or jake or any of these people they have their their moments of where they just like you know, they have, yeah they're, they're able to transcend their 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 nature you know how, however yeah, it ties um, really neatly into what you were saying about astrology a moment ago where it's like there are there is so much that's determined yet there's that little spark of freedom like genuine freedom that people have to overcome what otherwise would seem like a predestined path and i do think tv especially like episodic or serialized tv can be uh, it can be an interesting place to explore. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with like Sean Partridge in the Partridge family and all that. You know, kind yeah, of yeah, music. yeah. He talks about that too. I, I jokingly, but also seriously, I think like the archetypes of television as being actually these ancient, you know, sort of astrological things. And um, he, his, it's almost a satirical religion, the Partridge Family Temple. But at the same time, I think there's really something to that. Yeah, and and I think like I, I've always found that that group of people interesting because they were like just slightly like before my time, but I, I always found it interesting that like like independently, like I came to, you know, to to have a, a very similar conclusions and mindset about a, a lot of like that a lot of these people did, you know, kind of like yeah. even with something like beatnik fascism, I think like. You know, Boyd Rice had that album Hatesville, which very had like similar, kind of, yeah, kind of a similar thing, and um, you know, and, and people might think like, oh, that was like you kind of copied that, but no, it was I, I like I, I didn't even like know about it really until I was like, until I like was like almost finished with that book, and I was looking at that stuff and and like, but just a lot of that stuff with that that whole circle of people, I think maybe it's because like, um you know, like our generation, I think like they're, they're like a, like a little bit older than I am, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I think there's that very, um, I, but I came to a lot of the, the same, same conclusions as them. And so sometimes I feel like, well, like, it that kind of just, validates I, it. yeah, well, it validates it, but it's also like, you know, 
like like things are so much worse because like the stuff that these guys were saying like was like like I grew up too late or something because like I, I should have been part of I would have been like thriving in this scene and like now it's like we've gone downhill from from you know from from we've gone downhill from the, this kind of like even when I would watch like these like you know cable access stuff with these people from the early 90s and stuff on reruns I think like oh these people are saying exactly like what I'm saying now, but like they had a whole scene, you know, of, yeah. of like that. And it's just like, so I just like, I grew up too late or something. I should have been part of that. And like, now I'm just kind of on my own here where these other people are into, I don't know, all of this other stuff, like, like red scare. And, and Well, yeah, I was going to actually ask about that. Cause it's like, um, in a way, and maybe you disagree with this, but in a way it kind of feels like there is, a cultural scene where they're not beatnik fascism, but there is a kind of like um, dissident right flirtate, like a hipster flirtation with the dissident right that you kind of almost were prescient about with beatnik fascism in 2015, 2016. Because when I first kind of started getting online, I always was enthusiastic about that idea too. Like, oh, yeah. like there's going to be like uh, Swipple, like base people. And I do think it's kind of come true. Um, but also the messaging has changed a lot and there's a lot of, you know, I don't even want to speculate, but, you know, people, people talk about teal box and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I don't know, I, you, you have a more negative take on, but, but also like just acknowledging, like it is a little bit like what you were talking about. Maybe. Right. There, there is like, yeah, there, there is the scene, like the, the scene did materialize of like that kind of, um, you know, hip, hipster, right. Or whatever. It just so happens yeah. that like, you know, like the, the worldview and like the ideological stuff is just like, it's, it's not really anything that like, that I find compelling as opposed yeah. to what like Boyd Rice, Boyd Rice yeah. and all of these people were doing, like, like they were on the same, like I was on the same page as like what the stuff that they were talking about um, in those days. But it, so it's like, yeah, it didn't materialize, but like, you know, it, it didn't materialize in, in any, in any kind of fashion that like I, I'm interested in really. So it's kind of like, um, I don't know. It's just, a, <clears throat> it, it's just, it's just whatever. Like I never had any interest in any of the stuff, like, you know, the, the kind of like the, the Brooklyn dissident scene or whatever. Like, I don't even like New York really. Like, mm -hmm. I, don't like, I don't like New York culture. Um, you know, I don't like, I, I never liked any of that stuff. I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't like the, uh, you know the anti-woke left or something and, and this is nothing about like any of these like specific people or anything it's just kind of like you know there was a time when i thought i identified with the the, the dissident the direction that things were going and i just like i don't find any of it like um you know it doesn't the directions that it has gone in like maybe it's more successful but it just doesn't interest the it, yeah. none of this stuff interests me like at all. Could you could you imagine? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Could you imagine it kind of recoagulating around um, something that you do believe in more? Do you at this point do you think it's just such a tower of babble thing that you're kind of more just checked out? Um, yeah, I, I don't think so because like like one of the things that like I I think I came to realize is that um, I I don't know the, the maybe the, the things that 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 I believe or or these things that there's basically kind of like a, like an invisible glass ceiling, right. Mm -hmm. On, on dissident politics where it's like, um, you know, it, we're, 
whenever like something gets to like a, reaches a critical mass like there there are kind of and like i don't want to sound like conspiratorial but there are basically like forces in place that can like disrupt and pacify these things and channel them into other things that are like um you know kind of like a, almost like a divide a divide and conquer it's like oh you know this is getting kind of big now we need to do something about that and like let's push people to this and so and i think that there was like kind of a um you can attribute that to um sinister forces or you can just say that that's just like you know what happens when something gets popular it just starts to yeah. kind of suck you know like you're or something like that um so i i don't really know but i i feel like um you know the the, the people who are who are sincere you know or they maybe they believe the same things that, that i do or something like um you're just never going to get past a certain point w without um being disrupted and like i talk about you know those of us who are sincere like people would like you know i've been i've been told that like i won't say like by who or anything but that they were like they would be like farming content from people like us for years like the sincere people yeah. you know because people who are like disrupting these movements or who are i don't know involved in like maybe finding talking points and things like that so many of these like like bot accounts and shill accounts and like influencers like they they have to get like you know like talking points and things like that and they, they can easily get those those things from um sincere people's blogs and their tweets and stuff they're just farming content for you know for things and, and ideas and and things like that and so they can like farm it but but change it so um so that it can be used like in if in some other way or something yeah. like that yeah. and, and this is like another reason why i just like have have become more i would say more closed off or secretive is because then i can just like you know, I, I don't have people constantly copying like my tweets and my, my aesthetic and, and things like that. Like even when I would be like, um, even something as stupid as like, like talking about like, you know, Diet Coke or malls or fast food or anything like this, like, you know, then, then you start to see like people everywhere, like adopting all this stuff, but like, yeah. put, you know, but, but using it for like things I don't, i don't believe in or something like that and yeah, uh yeah. that that certainly happened when i was doing the uh a lot of like the alt left related content um and yeah. then it, but, but it happens like no matter what stupid thing that we write about somebody will will adopt it as like a motif or like you know some kind of m movie that i'm writing about or something like that and i don't you know i don't know how much of that is attributed to like sinister forces but i do know that if you are if you are sincere in these movements and you are like putting out a lot of uh, ideological content and things like that, and that, that people will farm that content and it will, it will find its way into like other influencers who get propped up and essentially like using your, your ideas. Um, yeah, no, definitely. It kind <laughs> of, uh, not to open up a whole can of worms, but I, I was definitely thinking about some of the podcasts we used to do about uh, Andrew Yang and that whole moment in 2019 which i mean i don't know if there was like you hear people talk about like that being potentially sort of um what's the word astroturfed or oh like it absolutely was and, yeah. and and that is like you know that's actually like provable 
one because there are like um, there are actually spreadsheets of um, available oh, really? that, of like of all of the accounts that were like involved in astroturfing which in some of them the uh, are, are actually some kind of like eye opening. Uh, I should know, check into or, that. Yeah. Or I, accounts. I'm not, I'm, I, yeah. Go on. Yeah. So like that. That was definitely a, a, an astroturf. Um, I think, like, essentially meant I, it. It may have been astroturfed on, on multiple levels. You know, like, but yeah. you know, astroturfed by like the, the Yang people, but also like like elements that were looking to divide, the 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 far right, and um, yeah. so I don't know. I got like I got sucked into that, but you know, for me, it, it, it's the same thing where it goes back to to Trump and all of this other stuff. Like, I was interested in Yang because like. You know, he was like, like we were all like artists and stuff. So it's like, I just want a thousand dollars a month. I know. Well, that's what I wanted to say because it still remains, even though I do think there's this sinister, sketchy thing about the Yang campaign and he himself has kind of been less than thrilling as a continued uh, voice in American politics. Uh, yeah. The fundamental idea remains um, good. And I still think kind of up, almost up your alley a little bit where it's, yeah, like you're, I think you were about to say this, like as an artist, the idea of a thousand dollars a month. Um, sort of facilitating that uh it facilitates the kind of lifestyle you sort of talk about in in all of your work and including atlantean wavelengths it's like that that a thousand dollars a month is enough to to check out is enough to kind of be left alone uh it kind of frees you from that slave slave morality about working that we were also talking about um and, and that i think remains a pretty potent political idea and one yeah. that I, maybe not yang gang uh, but one that I hope we can continue. To, you know, I I, I want to see an idea like that come back because I think it's kind of fundamental, like that being being just freed from from a lot of this bullshit. You know, well, yeah, free, freed from it, but also like it, it's this kind of it's similar to my other. Well, it's like what's in it for me, you know? And it's like yeah, you know, like Yang was off a month, yeah, thousand dollars a month. Like that's more than I'm getting from anyone else. Like it's you know, it's this this benefits me personally, and that's like almost how I like I feel politically. I've almost done like a like a kind of back to the the, the you know back to the kind of like analogy I used before of like the '60s versus the '80s boomers. It's like I you know at this point it's like just give me like a generic Republican who's just going to lower my taxes and like you know that, yeah. that's like. I, I don't care about all of this other shit anymore because I don't, I don't see anything like meaningful happening from it. So it's just like, I just want to vote for someone who's like, you know, who's not a complete buffoon and just going to lower my taxes and just be kind of boring, you know? Yeah. And like, I think that, that a lot of people that are still in the kind of 2016 milieu, they're, they're looking to like recreate the energy of 2016 or something. Yeah, I don't think that they realize that like, well, I don't think that they realize that like, people aren't looking for that anymore. Like they, and I think one of the reasons I think why like Biden was kind of seen is this because he was kind of like a boring kind of return to normal. Now it turned out that he's just like, you know, he's so like senile and like buffoonish at this point And like, you know, that it's disturbing that he can't, and, <laughs> and he's also like, I don't know, he's not that, that figure, but I think that like, that was the hope. Yeah. He, he, people just want like, they, they don't want this kind of like, you know, crazy like Kanye West energy. And and I've heard like Richard Spencer talk about like that, that this is the future or something like that. And I'm thinking like, no, I think that like people want like, 
you know, people just people want don't somebody. want to have to think about politics all the time. Or yeah. they, they just like I just want somebody who's like like competent and like you know emotionally stable and like just kind of boring. That's just going to like get down to the nitty gritty of like you know policy and like keeping the trains moving and like you know keeping the water lower, running. You mentioned that, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> lower, lower my taxes and like I just want someone who's like not going to fuck up my my personal shit. You know, yeah, like. Makes sense. Um, but so, th through it all, you you occasionally still throw Trump uh, a positive tweet, huh? Uh, yeah, I do, and and I think it's part still of something likable about him. Yeah. And, well, and also it's it's kind of this thing before where like people um like people attack him for for stuff that is like when are like the the times that I think he's making sense. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like well, you see this a lot on like well the you know do some right talking like about how like you know how he facilitated like covid and the vaccines and all that stuff and i'm thinking like okay well that actually like kind of works in his favor you know yeah. like I, you know i'm not like um you know i was never this person like for, for me like i never disliked the, the lockdowns were like some of the best times of my life you know? so <laughs> other, for other people yeah. it was like it was a nightmare or something it was like hell on earth but for me like i mean it was like you know, as someone who's like generally like kind of a loner anyways, who just like, you know, maybe just like only wants to like just hangs out with his girlfriend and stuff and goes to the mall. Like I was like, you know, we got free money. Like we just like I put it all in crypto. You know, I just like I just like I just hung out and I watched movies all day, like the same movie over and over. And just like, you know, I could go out places and there was just like there wasn't like people all over the goddamn place. Like it was I mean. Yeah, yeah, it was like I, I thrived and like loners. I kind of like, did too. I have to say, loners, yeah. like yeah, like loners or independent people thrived in this. Like I didn't need to be like go out and be like, oh, but I can't go and, and eat at my favorite restaurant with and sit. It's like I don't know. I just think the whole thing was just so overblown. It was like okay for like you know for like three weeks, like you had to order your food like you know to go instead of for here or something. Like I don't remember it being like that. Um, I don't know that big like something that really kind of uh, mm -hmm. yeah I don't remember it being something that was like really kind of was was difficult or anything like yeah. that but yeah. maybe for I mean, some, worse some places than others but yeah 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 I mean I, I don't know so it's like I, but the same so I do kind of um, like Trump I think that it's a mistake for for Trump to just like you know he he kind of like is is a, a victim of his own personality because you know the people that are fans of him are just like a lot of them are just like totally fucking bonkers and so like but he like you know but because they praise him or whatever he just allows those people like you know like who is that the my pillow guy and then all of these other people yeah. like like carrie lake and, and and all of these people that's just kind of like he himself like doesn't even believe the things that these people believe but they've like latched on to him just mm -hmm. because they've like he's supposed to be crazy and revolutionary or something but like if you actually hear what his actual beliefs are they're just kind of like they're fairly like just sensible like like normie kind of republican or like 90s democrat um beliefs or something like that and he occasionally he's like he says a lot of outrageous stuff but um you know he's not like he doesn't even have the same beliefs as these people like Candace Owens or something that, that have like, 
that are just like, on him, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that are associated with him in the in the public consciousness. Like he doesn't even agree with them on like um you know fundamental issues. So I don't know. It just comes back to where for for me, like whether it's Yang or Trump or some other influence on like I just listen to what they say. And it's like, um, so I don't know. I'd like I'd still like vote for Trump again just because um mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, just like the uh just just because just because <laughs> so people can find your work at chatbooks.net uh your twitter is private but um you know so i don't know i won't necessarily tag that here but uh people can find your work and and the right people will come across it <clears throat> yeah i mean you know you can you can tag my twitter at, at brandon adams yeah i don't i don't normally um accept most people who try to follow me unless i know them or unless they just like um so i don't know probably like one out of every 20 people i accept or something <laughs> yeah because uh, i don't know it's just like I, I i constantly get people who who try to follow me and and this has always been frustrating for me but i'll just look at their their page and it's like clear that we have absolutely nothing in common and that they're essentially like you know i mean it's a little bit dramatic to say that they're they're my enemy or something but it's just like i just look at their their bio and their first 10 tweets. And it's just like, this person doesn't understand the first thing about like what I'd like, why on earth would they be wanting to follow me? Like, you know, yeah. just as, as a hater too. That's actually one of the most frustrating things about writing about distant politics for me is that you realize that people will be quote fans and like follow you for many, many years, but like, and they'll read your stuff and they'll like, like it. But it's clear that they, they they don't even understand your fundamental beliefs. Like they yeah. don't even they don't even understand. But I have people following me since like 2015, or that they don't even like they're they're completely like misperceiving like what my basic beliefs are or things like yeah. fundamental beliefs are. And it's just like as a writer, you can like people's just their reading comprehension is just so poor that it's just kind of like it's frustrating because you'd be like. And this is why I started my like blog post just started to get more and more like bizarre and abstract is because I I came to this realization that like it doesn't even matter what you write because people aren't even going to understand it. So you might as well just write like nonsense almost because (laughs) it it doesn't even matter like what you say or what you tweet. So it's like people people don't even understand what you mean when if you you construct an eloquent opinion perfectly that like from a technical so like it just lays it all out there what you believe and people still won't even understand it so it's better to just like you know tweet like oh i'm you know i'm eating a you know i'm, I'm eating a, <laughs> I'm, eating, I'm eating a croissant right now from starbucks and it's like it, it doesn't matter like people's perception of that will be like the same as like if you're writing something like really profound uh, about making a profound political statement about what you believe like yeah. people's yeah. Un- understanding of it will be like it doesn't make any difference like what you write yeah no it's interesting you kind of keep grounded and that other stuff but um well hey yeah. we should probably wrap up i actually did okay. want this is a very bizarre point to end on but i did want to ask you about it i was um I mean, we'll just end on this and and drop the mic but uh i i was interested this is about a i've been wanting to bring you on new right for a while this is kind of overdue and and so this was about a year ago now, but you were tweeting a lot about Euphoria, which I also really enjoy, the show on HBO. Um, 
it seems semi-ironic perhaps that you or, or perhaps even me would be into it because it's kind of quote unquote degenerate. It's it's kind of ostensibly woke, but I think kind of below the surface, it falls in this pantheon of good TV we were talking about. Um, obviously Melrose Place is not like good TV in a pretentious sense, but, uh, but, but nevertheless, Euphoria kind of taps into that same wavelength for me. Um, so just however briefly, I was kind of curious about how you got into euphoria and if you dig the show and uh you know however ironically that is given the subject matter um i think like uh, one of the main things is just that like i was i was dating a girl at the time and like you know like dating girls that are like like much younger than me like i'm exposed to like a lot of um pop culture related stuff and and i could just be like oh well, this sucks or whatever, but I've always like I think it's better to be open, open-minded to about it. Yeah, like yeah, to be open-minded about it. I look at it as like an opportunity um, of something, and like I don't know, like I'm like a pretty sleazy guy anyway. So like the stuff in Euphoria is not like you know something where I'm going to be like, oh, this is degenerate or something like that. I, it's just kind of like it. It is kind of amusing to me how it just like the it, that it's like it basically encompasses like all of the kinds of quote degeneracy that like w would really have people like that really gets on people's nerves it's just like it's all in one show basically yeah it throws everything at the wall i mean there's an art to that and i i don't know i think that like um i, I don't know the, the the thing about the show is that like i i didn't really um so i i watched like all of it and and it's kind of when you when you watch these shows like from a perspective of someone like you or me like you kind of watch it like in order to watch like a lot of contemporary um film and tv and stuff you you, you often find yourself kind of like rooting for the characters you're not supposed to root for yeah like, um and that was kind of like the way i felt oh yeah me, or, me like, too, like identifying time. yeah identifying with the characters that are like you know that the show is trying to make you think are bad you know but you yeah. don't want to identify with them too much because then it's like you're you're you know you're pre presenting yourself with like a false choice you know you're being presented with like a a caricature of like you know you're you're, you're identifying with like a kind of like how when people used to identify with like archie bunker you know yeah. and, and all of the family which like he whereas he was like he wasn't meant to be like a, a sympathetic character really but like at the same time when you like identify with him too much then it's like you're you're identifying with like somebody who's like a caricature of what you're supposed to believe or something like that yeah yeah um so that's kind of how i felt about about euphoria but it's also like um you know i i think it's that it's important to be um you know it's it's important to be open like be open-minded something and like sometimes you just gotta like sit through it and, and watch it and I, do i think yeah. that like euphoria is like a fantastic show or anything um no not really but i think that whether it's like music or or contemporary shows or anything like that i think that they're like it's very easy to just write it off and be like this is all garbage no there's a lot like more that. going on there i think i think it's very well made i kind of made the point to you when you're talking about it beforehand like it's it's got this kind of woke uh it's like in woke garb but actually the show is just very hedonistic 
um obviously the characters in it are hedonistic but like to watch it is kind of a pleasure in that way too it um it's well edited it's got you know music drops and um attractive people not everyone is attractive but some of them you know and uh yeah it just it, it delivers on that which is um something that i feel like is is actually shockingly rare now in culture um so I, i've always looked at it on that basis yeah, and I don't know, and, and and I do think it kind of it does like humanize a, a lot of the um, different types of people that you would very easily write off in in real life as being um, I don't know. It gives you kind of like a window into them, and and, and does kind of create a um, a feeling of empathy about different types of people and like what's what could be going on in their heads and stuff. Yeah, and, like, yeah. It's that kind of character driven show like Melrose Place where it's not a soap opera, but like, I don't know, it has that, that he, that's, that's a real strength of like television storytelling. I feel like is being able to tap into that character based storytelling. Yeah. So I, I did like, I did watch it. I watched all, all the episodes and um, I don't know, I, to me, I think it, it, it helps if you're like, if you're dating a girl or something like, or, or, or if you, even if you have like, um, like younger friends or something to, that they can like they can almost kind of point you to to things that are um things from like from their era that are like that you may not have seen value in but you can because you can understand like why what they see in it it like helps you look at it a different way and that's yeah, like I, I agree yeah um, and that goes for for music and and everything else and like it's it's kind of like um, you know, like I, I always hated like, like auto tune in, in music, yeah. um, b basically. But then I, like, I came to like, understand like why, um, you know, like a, this, uh, um, you know, this girl, she, uh, um, she said that like, she liked it because it had like, an it, it like added like a hypnotic quality to the songs or almost like oh yeah no and, and now it's like you can you almost get nostalgic for that in and of itself yeah and so it, it's kind of like i don't know i feel like other people can kind of help you if, you, if you're willing to be open-minded you can look at these things in um you can see like why other people find value in them that other, otherwise uh, as opposed to just writing something off as well this is this is trash or something like that because yeah, like that's... other people if other people are able to connect with it it's, it's important to like you know to find out why and then you, you out may, what's going on yeah you may be able to connect with it on that level also yeah no totally all right well i think i'm gonna stop the recording for now but thanks so much for coming on i will get this up uh within the next week or so and i'm sending it out there